Good morning. Morning. <laughs> good morning. Good morning. That was a challenge. Good morning. <laughs> Hello. Why did, you, why did you sound like a frog just now? I'm getting my voice back. Oh my gosh, what happened? <laughs> just lost it over the weekend. Cold. You know. Just doing <sighs> her droplets in my direction. Damn, I was going too much, too much partying. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, ooh, going to bed at nine o'clock as a parent. <laughs> yeah, party. Party. It's 106.1 Kiss FM, K-Man's best variety. It's a Blake and Aaron show on a Tuesday. I love the short work week. Oh, Super yes. nice. It does keep feeling like Monday, though. Tomorrow's Wednesday already. What do you What do you mean? I know. That's, that's awesome. That's pretty cool. Uh, 721. Right now, let's catch you up on everything that happened over the long weekend. Big news. I have some important news for you. Interesting news. It's Blake and Aaron's Spilling the Tea with Sandy. K-Man's top news headlines of the day from CMR. Good morning, Sandy. Good morning, Blake and Aaron. How are you guys doing? Good. How was the weekend? Wonderful. Yeah, it was great. Fantastic. Right now, seems to have gone off without a hitch. Good. Yes. Cool. Discovery Day, obviously, was yesterday. So a lot mm-hmm. of people uh, took the opportunity to travel over the weekend. I can tell you that flights were full in and out of the Cayman Islands. Oh, really? And, yeah, the yeah. airport parking lot look, looked rammed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And um, in addition to that, of course, because of the delays with um, the Jamaica situation the day before, yeah. um, there were you know additional flights put on for Jamaica as well. Mm. So Cayman Airways was incredibly busy. Um, there was a little bit of an issue with the charter flight that went to the BRAC for Bracanal. Um, some mechanical issue kind of slowed things down there, but they quickly got things back on schedule. And uh, in regional news with a connection to the Cayman Islands, a 19-year-old Caymanian was arrested in Honduras in a taxi cab murder. Absolutely horrible situation. But uh, this young man who um, has ties between Cayman and Honduras um, was essentially involved. Jaden Woodman Webster was arrested along with two others, a Jamaican national who's 25 years old and a Honduran man who is 41 years old. They all reside uh, back and forth, I guess, in La Saiba. And all three were arrested for supposedly or reportedly carrying out um, a robbery of a taxi driver where the taxi driver was actually killed. So big news over the weekend. Everyone was shocked and surprised by this. Um, So we'll keep an eye and see what happens there. But at 19, could be heading to a real jail in Honduras. Jeez. Yeah, it's pretty it's pointless. Yeah. Uh, and things in Jamaica continue to be volatile for um, some industries there. As multiple strikes are happening, workers are calling for salary increases. So the prime minister has called on the public sector not to create any crises for themselves and to allow, to allow uh, industrial negotiations to work out. Um, but... Not really working out too well because on Friday, workers at the National Housing Trust walked off the job. Um, And this, of course, is following, like I said, the day before, the air traffic controllers actually going on strike as well. So um, we'll see the Jamaica Civil Service Association, um, which represents, they're the union that represents thousands of government employees, um, also gave notice of further demonstrations this week. Hmm. So Um, might have a knock on effect. Um, well, if you're trying to fly to Jamaica, probably you can't right now. Is that the whole situation? Well, you know, you, you definitely want to keep an eye on the situation. So the air controllers are back to work, but other industries, um, other civil service oh. industries are striking. So, hmm. 
Yeah, pretty crazy. Um, so we have an exclusive interview coming up this morning with the Deputy Premier, Mr. Chris Saunders, and he's going to be uh, making a few announcements that uh, might surprise you guys. So I think everybody should tune in if you can. Oh, Take a musical break and tune into that interview. What's uh, what's going down? What are you, you going to yeah. give us here on KISS FM? Well, one of the things um, that he revealed is that the work permit process is going to be completely automated. Huh. Wow. Mm, yeah, that's a big deal. That is a so, huge deal. Yes. Uh, so it's coming, and that means for a lot of employers, fast-tracking uh, work permits, it'll be easier to wow. at least go through the process so you know um, in a shorter space of time, whether it's deferred, denied, whatever, you know, it's you upload it. And certain uh, employers will be given a little bit of a preference, like if it's a job that they know because of the uh, mandatory database that no key manions are registered for. Uh, one example he gave is like a neurosurgeon. It's not like you're going to have, you know, 100 key manions registered for that particular job. Mm -hmm. And provided there are none, then um, that would be a work permit that would, you know, kind of automatically be approved almost once all of the requisite paperwork is submitted. Right. So and, quite and interesting. When, when do we see that coming on, coming online? Um, no launch date as yet, but I feel like it's going to be coming relatively soon. Okay. Right. Yeah. Well, very and good. And then, did you guys hear about this kind of bizarre story of these uh, parents in Cuba who are suing their son and daughter-in-law demanding a grandchild? I did. I'd... Is that in Cuba? I saw it, but I didn't no, know. This, is, this is India. Did I say Cuba? My apologies. Yeah. That was India. Oh, okay. In, I, India. I did see the story, yes. Yeah, so so weird and bizarre. Because they don't have grandchildren. Because they want him to have a grandchild. Yes. yes. So they they want them to pay. They said, you got to give us a grandchild within a year or pay 50 million rupees, which is equivalent of about $675,000. Sure. <laughs> sure. The soon-to-be grandfather, probably, is a 61-year-old retired government officer. I mean, everybody everybody who, who uh, you know, who gets married has has their parents going, hey, when are you going to have kids? I don't want to have kids, guys. I want a grandchild. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty extreme to go. You Maybe know he's what? not even married. You, you, no, they're married. Oh, he, oh, he, oh, and they're just like, what? Yeah, you know what? So, I'm gonna they should you. adopt someone. <laughs> so yeah. listen to how they, listen to the logic that these parents are using. They're saying, listen, we have spent um, $65,000 sending you to training school, pilot training school in the U.S. In 2006, they gave him a luxury car worth $80,000. His five-star um, uh, wedding at a hotel, at a five-star hotel and honeymoon in Thailand six years ago. So they're just saying, listen, we're getting old. We need a grandchild. But these people, referring to his son and daughter-in-law, have an attitude that they don't think about us. <laughs> so, mm. you know. Ungrateful. So weird. Yeah, it's, it's so weird. Snot-nosed kids. I want some nuts. <laughs> be appreciative give your parents a grandbaby all right folks all right catch the show on the bobo 89.1 fm coming up at 7 30 this morning we'll see you tomorrow for more headlines oh, thanks Andy. thanks all right our segment with cmr brought to you trust me that is just so bizarre and so crazy all right let's get all of our uh, gears our ducks geared up our ducks geared up our ducks in a row <laughs> as we get ready to transition over to Bobo. So give me one second. Don't forget this morning, we're going until 10 o'clock. Get ready. Let's play a little national song to get y'all in the mood. And we do have Health City, who's going to be joining us first up this morning as well.
sorrel, ginger, beaver grass, or English. Get it ready. Your morning tea just got hotter. Ooh, honey child. On the cold hard truth, Bobo 89.1 and Cayman's number one talk show are bringing you morning talk like no one else. Monday Rewind, Impact Wednesdays, Caribbean Connections, and much more. Don't miss a beat with what's happening in the local community. Just keep sipping your tea. What a mess. Here's your host, live and direct from the Cayman Islands, Sandy Hill. Sorrel, ginger, beaver grass, or English. Get it ready. Your morning tea just got hotter. Ooh, honey child. On the cold hard truth, Bobo 89.1 and Cayman's number one talk show are bringing you morning talk like no one else. Monday Rewind, Impact Wednesdays, Caribbean Connections, and much more. Don't miss a beat with what's happening in the local community. Just keep sipping your tea. What a mess. Here's your host, live and direct from the Cayman Islands, Sandy Hill. Good morning, folks. Um, thank you so much for the notification. We do understand that there's a little bit of um, uh, an issue. So we're just trying to look and see where that's coming from on radio. So we're going to see if we can get that sorted out rather quickly for you. Um, nope. All right. So give us one second. Um, all right, we may have to log out and back in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I pretty much leave all of my audio settings precisely the same so that we don't have any issues, but uh, something seems to be awry this morning. Not quite sure um, what it is, to be honest, but uh, let's see if we can uh, figure it out. So, okay, just give us a second. So, yeah, someone said that the audio is a little bit um, a little bit shaky. So let's see if we can get that sorted out before we invite our guests on the program. So good morning, everyone. Um, all right, so let's just log out and log back in. Yeah, we try to make this... The dummies version 101, but uh, sometimes it just doesn't happen. So everything looks good on this end. Hmm. All right. As they say, don't touch any buttons. Don't do anything different. All right. Um, so do let me know if there's any improvement on that audio. Um, and then we can get started. Still no better, says Siobhan. Ooh, ooh. Oh, boy. Okay. Senior Chuck, I'm going to leave this in your hands. Um, all right. So we'll, we'll, we'll leave it with Chuck. Maybe he needs to restart something on his end. Um, 
because yeah, we, like I said, we're very, very, it's like, don't touch the board. Don't touch any settings. Don't do anything at all because <laughs> we have to be certain that uh, nothing, nothing bizarre is going on on this end. Uh, Shamari, I do see you. Um, just give us a couple seconds. Let's see if we can uh, get this sorted out in any way, shape or form. Got another um, rundown Tuesday here for you guys. A beautiful Tuesday here in the Cayman Islands. And I know you guys are really enjoying these rundown Tuesday segments because you're always messaging me, telling me how educational you find them and um, informative and also a little bit of fun. You know, it doesn't have to be dull and uninteresting. It can it can be tons and tons of fun. So let's get some morning greetings um, out of the way this morning. Uh, we have Miss Virtuous uh, Ver Vernita, who's here. Irvlin is joining us as well. Miss Rita, buenos dias to you. Wee Wee has got it locked. Good morning to Wee Wee. So good to see you. John is here, of course. Good morning to Marshall, Diamond Princess, Olivia, Desi. Good morning. She says, uh, Cayman Brack and Little Cayman, what a beautiful day it is. And indeed it is. Louie, good morning. Top of the morning to you, my dear, joining us from Detroit. Uh, Nathina had a birthday over the weekend. How was your birthday? Happy birthday. Vanessa's got it locked. Um, John says, Bobo. Yes, Bobo 89.1 FM. I know lots of people are tuned in there every single morning. And don't forget that this morning is our first morning where we're going um, into an additional half an hour. So we're going to actually run the show now going up until 10 o'clock. Hey, popular demand. Everybody's saying, hey, we need you to go more. We need you to go longer in the mornings. Um, and we've got a really full show this morning. So we're going to go ahead and get started here in a second with Health City. We've got Felicia joining us. Good morning to Chantel. Good morning, Pauline. Uh, Catherine is here. Uh, Diania says the radio is horrible this morning. They're looking into it. We are aware that there's something amiss and um, we're having them look into it. Yes. Thank you, though, for letting us know. And good morning to Miss Beulah as well. So, yeah, you know, there's there's connection between here and the radio and. Um, yeah. So I appreciate you guys telling me because, of course, um, I can't hear the radio. <laughs> so it's always good to know that there is something going on there. So good morning, Carmelie. Good morning to Jackie. Um, and uh, Celine is also here as well. So good morning, everyone. Beautiful day. All right, let's get it. Um, let me see here. So, all right. So let's go ahead and uh, welcome our um, guests on the program this morning. We're going to be talking about Women's Health Week, which was just celebrated. So first up, a regular fixture every single Tuesday, Dr. Sh uh, Dr. <laughs> Shamari, we might have to give you a doctorate after this. Mr. Shamari Scott, Chief Business Officer at Health City. Good morning. Good morning, Sandy. How are you? I'm good, Doc. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> I've been called worse, so that's okay. <laughs> um, so how was your weekend? Your, your it was discovery good. weekend? Yes, it was a nice discovery weekend. Um, lots of fun things happened over the weekend, including I got my 23andMe um, DNA results. So tomorrow's show, we're going to be delving oh, wow. into that. We're going to do a deep dive. It's going to be fun. Sweet. That, that's I got the one some that relatives you. on this island that I didn't know I had. So you guys got to huh. tune in. <laughs> So what's that? Is that one that tells you exactly your 
demographic oh where your ancestors came from or yes, the one way everything like health things like what the color of your eyes should be like it's super amazing Oh, so, um, and then it found some relatives. I'm like, hmm, I didn't know I'm related to that person. So we're going <laughs> to, we're going to dive deep into that one tomorrow. So don't miss it. Okay. Dr. Pooja Montiero. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Sandy. Good morning, Shamari. How are you guys doing? Good we're morning, doing wonderful. Well, thank you. So Dr. Pooja, I hope I've gotten that correctly. That's good. Thanks a consultant gynecologist um, at Health City, and we're going to be discussing with her this morning um, what are some of the, you know, things that she sees patients for. And we're going to dig a little bit deeper into actually some of the uh, services are available at Health City um, that fall under her remit. So good morning to both of you. So this is wonderful to be celebrating Women's Health Week. And, um, you know, it's one of those things that, uh, Tamari, you know, um, you've got a wife who's a mom of three boys, three boys, super busy. And, you know, women have their mothers, they're professionals, they do stuff in the community, their daughters. So there's certain expectations mm -hmm. that come from, you know, the family that they kind of, you know, have separated themselves from once they get married. There's just so much on a woman's plate that she is expected to do, um, that it's a lot. And you've got to take time to, of course, prioritize your health. And so tell us how Health City is going to assist a woman in making sure that she is doing the things that she needs to do to take care of herself first so that she can then take care of other people. Definitely. And um, just to start, Sandy, to say that Dr. Pooja has been with us a year before our world changed with COVID. So she was here in 2019 and then obviously 2020, um, the world was turned upside down, but it seems like she's been with us for a decade. Um, but definitely Dr. Pooja came in at the right time because especially as we move forward with our radiotherapy center and our cancer care center, Dr. Pooja also has experience when it comes to gynecology and um, oncology, which is cancer. And Dr. Pooja has 10 years of experience and she is now one of the A team that we have here at Health City. And we're very pleased to have Dr. Pooja with us. And she has conducted over 900 procedures slash surgeries. So it just tells you the level of experience that Dr. Pooja has and why we definitely needed to bring her over um, to Cayman so that the population could get, gain the benefit of her experience, but also mm -hmm. the wider Caribbean and Latin, Latin America you know, US, Canada, based on all of our target markets as well. But Sandy, you you actually summed it up perfectly. Um, when you're in the airplane, what they always tell you to do, get your oxygen mask first, take care of yourself first before you assist anybody else. Because if something happens to you, then you're not going to be able to be there to help everybody. And you're so correct. Like at times I look at my wife as an example, who is professional, has three boys, she knows all of the activities, she has a chart up by day, who is picking up, who is dropping off, which doctor's appointment, and then obviously she takes care of the household um, and is even helping. Uh oh, it looks like you kind of dropped out there, Shamari. Um, I think your connection. Am I still there? Yes, now you're back. Okay. Okay, sorry. And even, you know, interestingly enough, um, 
even recently she was talking about the fact that she needed time to go see her personal doctor as well. And, you know, I, I, as bad as it is, I said, okay, well, what can I do to take something off your plate so you can go and do that? So a lot of times we have these super women that put themselves on the back burner and we need to ensure that they put themselves to the front. And that's why we have the Dr. Poojas of this world, as well mm -hmm. as our executive health checks that persons can come in for women's health. And we look forward to hearing about all of the different areas that Dr. Pooja can actually help with. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, um, Dr. Pooja. And I'm sure that you, you know, as a woman can also relate to, um, you know, just the, the balancing act that uh, we all uh, try to, to carry out. So um, first of all, thank you for joining the program. And let's talk a little bit about the gynecological um, services that you offer. So I see that there's a number of surgeries that are available. And, um, you know, these are things that a lot of women are very, very familiar with. They either have suffered from some of these themselves or they know a woman um, who has. Uh, for example, fibroids uh, is something that I think is pretty common. Can you tell us a little bit about um, that procedure and we'll discuss some of the others as well. Right. So you're actually absolutely right, Sandy. Fibroids is something which is extremely common in this part of the world. So when I came from India, so to give you a rough example of mm -hmm. how common and how um, varied in size the fibroids are over here. So the women in India would have fibroids ranging from two centimeters, three centimeters. Seldom I would find someone with like a six to 10 to 12 centimeter fibroid. So say one in 200, 300 women would have a fibroid that large. But mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, fortunately here in Cayman, uh, there are probably uh, 10 to 20 in 200 women who have a normal sized uterus. Most wow. of them have fibroids ranging from one to probably, I think 25 centimeters has been the biggest that I've seen so far here yeah. uh, till date. So it's just uh, something which is very common. Um, it has do to we have, can I just ask you, do we have any idea why? Yes. So um, I was coming to that. It actually yes. has to do, uh, with our ethnicity and our race. So uh, women of the African-American descent or the Caribbean descent, uh, tend to have, uh, a higher chance of producing fibroids as opposed to Caucasian mm -hmm. women, um, women who it plays a strong genetic role as well. So you you would generally notice women say, oh, you know, my mom had fibroids, my sister had fibroids, and now I have fibroids too. So it has hereditary, which is uh, an important contributor as well. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, I must say, you know, I was kind of speaking to Shamari earlier about my 23andMe results. And there are things that have a genetic component. And sometimes the genetic yes. component is linked into your ethnicity, your race, um, you know, where you're from, essentially, in terms of that. And then sometimes there's a family history, which can also um, impact your chances of catching certain things. And that's why I feel like a little bit of knowledge um, in terms of what you might be predisposed to can then put you on alert to at least be able to check for um, these uh, diseases or, you know, whether it's fibroid, endometriosis or other things, just to make sure that you're constantly keeping an eye on it. So, of course, um, I'm sure you'll tell us that most fibroids are, are very, um, you know, nothing to worry about, essentially. They're, they're very, uh, you know, they'll come and they'll go and, yes. and there's, there's little concern, but you have to be aware 
if you have a tendency to actually get fibroids that you do want to keep an eye on it. So, you know, one month you might think, oh, this pain feels a little bit different. Don't ignore it, right? We need to be calling you. Yes. So when it comes to fibroids, uh, women get really, uh, you know, scared and worried when you when you say, oh, you have fibroids. Mm -hmm. But honestly, trust me, it has nothing to you have nothing to worry about. So uh, imagine um, you have a pimple or a boil on your face. That's mm -hmm. literally what a fibroid is on a uterus. So it's just a growth of muscle. Uh, in the body of the uterus. Now, where exactly it is located within the uterus is uh, what will define how it presents to us. So sometimes they're super teeny tiny. They can range from like less than a centimeter, like I said, to 25, 30 centimeters, but depends. So if you have a one centimeter fibroid, which is within the lining of the uterus. Now, when I say lining of the uterus, that's the place that you shed off the lining and you bleed every month when you see a period. Mm -hmm. So if that one centimeter fibroid is located within that lining, it's going to wreak havoc. So symptoms being you're going to have super heavy periods. Um, the and periods are going to be inconsistent. So they're just going to be heavy, heavier, heaviest. They are not going to stop. Uh, generally with medications are not going to, uh, you know, sort them. They'll slow them down, but it's going to pick right up. Uh, it's not very amenable to medical treatment. Whereas the same one centimeter fibroid within the body of the uterus that's in the muscle layer or on mm -hmm. the outside layer of the uterus is not going to give you any trouble. You have women who have fibroids as big as 10 and 12 centimeters and they have zero symptoms from it. You know, they come in for a routine pap smear or a health check or for something really different. And then when you examine them, you tell them you have this big, huge fibroid. It's just because the location of the fibroid is why it's not giving them any symptoms. Mm -hmm. So like you rightly said, every fibroid that you find, you mm -hmm. do not need to treat. You might have someone who has 10 fibroids, but they're teeny tiny. They're not causing any trouble. We don't touch something which doesn't trouble us. Right. That's the general basic ground rule. And not every fibroid which is causing symptoms needs surgeries. There are medical therapies that can and should be tried, mm -hmm. uh, you know, before jumping the gun and saying, hey, you need surgery for every single fibroid. But at the end of the day, of course, we have surgery and medical technology is advanced to such an extent that, you know, you come in the morning, you go home in the evening or probably just the next day. You have like two or three teeny tiny scars. The biggest one is around a centimeter. You mm. don't feel any pain. You can go back to work two days after your surgery. And no one could tell that you've had such a major surgery. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Now, of course, we want to encourage our listeners to know that as a woman, you know, your um, sort of gynecological needs start from puberty. So let's let's begin there a little bit, because I think a lot of women wait until they're in their 20s or their 30s uh, before even having a proper um, first exam. Why is it important to start examinations um, earlier as, you know, as a young, basically a teenager? So it's best to start your examinations when you start getting sexually active. That's mm -hmm. when, you know, you need to come in a for an STD check. That's a sexually transmitted disease mm -hmm. panel check. Every single sexually active woman who is not or probably who is even in a committed relationship because um, you know how the world works right now. It's mm -hmm. always, always advisable to have the sexually transmitted disease panel once every year. So that should be the beginning of your, um, you know, journey with your gynecologist. Uh, where you where you attain uh, sexual health. Uh, even before that, children, um, mm -hmm. adolescents need to get vaccinated against um, HPV. That stands mm -hmm. for human papillomavirus. That's the virus which causes cervical cancer. 
and all of the precancerous changes which we look for on a pap smear mm-hmm. so it that starts at school going age but you don't need to see your gynecologist for that you can just see your pediatrician your gp and i i believe it's a part of the school vaccination schedule here in kemat so right. it starts from there uh, then you come when you're sexually active your pap smear start at the age of 21 Um, mm-hmm. And then you go on from there. So your visit, like you rightly st- said, starts when you attain puberty and when you are actually sexually active. Mm-hmm. And just just as a note, in terms of the HPV vaccine, so you know they can start at age nine, yes. um, but they have a series that they do um, on or after their fifteenth birthday. They actually do three doses. And by the way, our young men also need to be protected because a lot of people yes. think, oh, you know, HPV—it's only cervical cancer. But in order to stop the spread of it, you should be um, vaccinating your young men as well. Yes, so, and um, not only the spread of cervical cancer, it actually prevents. anal cancers penile cancers in men as it mm-hmm. does cervical cancer in women yes okay so make sure uh, folks that you're aware that there are other um vaccines other than the baby ones as you come into your teenage years and adulthood that you should be getting as well so yes. one thing that i would like to put yes. out there about the hpv vaccine is that um you know there are some women who think oh i've been vaccinated i don't need to do pap smears anymore mm-hmm. that's just a wrong notion that is out there the hpv vaccine provides you around 75 to 80% protection now we have the mm-hmm. the the better vaccines the nonavalent vaccines which are providing around uh i want to say roughly close to 90 to 95% mm-hmm. but 5% is still a huge number when you look at the population which right. means that you are not immune to cervical cancer it decreases your chances by 95% mm-hmm. but you are still in that bracket that you could be Are susceptible to it, which means you need to come in regularly for your Pap smears. And when mm-hmm. I say regular Pap smears, this is again another misconception in Kemal. For some reason, that you need to go in every year for a Pap smear, which is not correct. You need to go in at least once every other year or once every three years if you are doing just a plain Pap smear. Mm-hmm. But if you are doing a Pap smear with a combined HPV test, which I think almost all of us are doing right now on island mm-hmm. GPs and the gynecologists. you're good for the next 5 years if you have both the parts which are normal. Mm. And can I ask about a little bit about the HPV vaccine? So I know that ideally you want to start um before a young person becomes sexually active. Yes. But people who are even in their 30s and 40s, uh particularly women, is it still too late for them or can they because I know there's different strains of yes. HPV. So Not you really. know. So uh currently the vaccines that we have uh that are available start from the age of 9 like you said. Mm-hmm. Uh they go up to the age of 45. Mm-hmm. uh these are for your two vaccines which are presently in the schedule but there are newer vaccines which are available right now which have no upper age limit so you can take it whenever you mm-hmm. think you want to go ahead and take it like you rightly said the best time to take it is when you are sexually naive which means you've never mm-hmm. ever been sexually active that's when it offers maximum protection so um with uh with the 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 least or the lowest um uh vaccine that's available so which mm-hmm. uh, offers protection against the two or the four subtypes of the hpv uh, it would offer you around 75 to 80% protection if you uh, have never been sexually active or you're sexually naive versus someone who has been sexually active it probably is going to give you say around 50 to 60% protection which is again mm-hmm. a phenomenal number so every single woman who has not been uh, vaccinated against it when they were sexually naive please go ahead and get it done Mhm. 
And in fact, um, it seems like the HPV infection um, is very, very common. There's only, there's over a hundred varieties of HPV. And normally you'll find that uh, people have at least one or two of those at some point during their lifetime. Yes. And HPV does not only cause cervical cancer. It also causes a sexually transmitted disease. Uh, They cause warts in both Mm -hmm. men and women. But the good thing is the type of HPV virus that causes warts will not cause cancer and vice versa. Mm-hmm. But these vaccines provide protection against both. So they provide protection against cervical cancer and against the sexually transmitted uh, warts. Mm-hmm. All right, folks. So some very, very good information for you. <clears throat> Sorry, here this morning with Dr. Pooja. And if you have any questions, um, feel free to tune in. I understand that the radio issue has been sorted. So, of course, a bright good morning to our Bobo 89.1 listeners as well. The telephone number, if you'd like to join the conversation, is 936-BOBO. That's 936-2626. So, folks, we're um, talking as part of our regularly scheduled Rundown Tuesday segments. We are here this morning with uh, Health City, and they're talking about uh, Women's Health Week. So, of course, we just had uh, Mother's Day celebrations. I know a lot of you took the special lady in your life um, out for, you know, brunch or whatever. But the most important thing that you can give that special woman in your life is, a, you know, good health, a, a clean bill of health. So please encourage, whether it's your mom, your sisters, um, yourself, uh, make it a priority. This year's theme was forward focus, achieving healthier futures together. So, you know, the pandemic has caused uh, a lot of stress on on individuals and families and most certainly uh, women in those families who are trying to juggle so many different responsibilities. I always chuckle every year when I see that little cartoon where the family says, oh, mom, we decided to give you the day off and then we hired all of these people to fill in for you. And like, she's the single person, but they had to hire a chef, um, like a nurse, a cleaner, you know, so it just speaks to the um, amazing role that women tend to play in families. And, you know, sometimes you're a single parent, so that's even more stressful for you. You don't necessarily have um, a lot of emotional support, but you've got to make wellness a priority in both physical wellness and of course, mental health wellness as well. So Dr. Pooja is here. She's a consultant guy gynecologist, and she's talking about some of the services um, that are directed specifically at women at the health uh, city facility there. So starting from puberty, folks, we're going to talk a little bit going into pregnancy, menopause, uh, pelvic floor concerns. So let's talk about, you know, as you um, get older as a woman, I was kind of chuckling this morning with the guys wrote 106 about the Indian grandparents who are suing their kids because they want a baby. (laughs) They're like, hurry up and give me, hurry up and give me. And it's not fake news. It's real. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's kind of crazy that they've decided to go that route with it. But, you know, a lot of people feel um, it's interesting, but a lot of people feel like they can uh, dictate (laughs) when a woman has a child or, you know, they want to make, and some, most often it's very subtle, right? So your parents are not normally going to sue you over this, but they start asking you questions. Um, oh, you just got married. Great. When am I going to expect a baby? It's like they want you to be on this time schedule. Of course, those things uh, may not align with what a woman necessarily wants. So it can be stressful in more ways than one. But uh, when a woman decides for herself that she's going to have a baby and she's going to start that process um, of building and expanding her family, what are some of the things that she should be looking at even before starting the pregnancy journey? So uh, most importantly is to know your family history well. 
to know if there's a strong history of anything in particular, say something as silly as blood pressure, diabetes. Mm -hmm. But with you and your partner, mm -hmm. uh, you need to see if there's um, something that is a part of your genetic history. So say, mm -hmm. for example, thalassemia, sickle cell anemia, uh, you know, things like this, Down syndrome, anything that runs in the family that you should be aware of. It's mm -hmm. always advisable to go for a preconceptional counseling to your gynecologist or to your OB. Um, to you know, to the do's and don'ts, they can they can guide you. We can guide you and tell you what to do, when to do, how to do. Mm -hmm. um, certain tests can be done. Um, most women have been vaccinated against the rubella as babies. We take it as MMR vaccines, but there are some countries, you know, where they do not um, or did not offer the rubella vaccine um, when they were kids or you know, parents for anti-vaxxers or things like that. So rubella is something that they definitely need to be vaccinated against before mm -hmm. planning a pregnancy. So if you don't know your um, vaccination status against rubella, is always advisable to get uh, the antibody levels checked because it's it's just something as silly as chickenpox when you're not pregnant. Mm -hmm. But when you are pregnant, there is a 95 to 99% chances uh, of affection of the baby in terms of deafness, intellectual disabilities, heart disorders, you know, physical wow. deformities, and nobody wants that. Yes. So if there's something which can be avoided, it's best avoided. Wow. Hmm. Yes. Very good. Um, so, and as you then start to, um, you know, some women, and we have to, you know, probably address this a little bit, some women actually do have a bit of an issue conceiving. Yes. And so it, it might take longer than than they thought. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give my life as an example. I waited until my 40s because, you know, you always think you want everything to be perfect. And of course, Absolutely. you never get there. But, um, you know, so I was a, a late mom um, and it took over a year. <laughs> you know, it took, it took some time. And so um, what are some of the things? What's the average length of time? I think the average is probably is a year. But what's the average length of time in your experience uh, for women to actually conceive once they're actively trying? So, uh as per medical science, it says that if you are actively trying for one full year mm -hmm. uh, and you haven't conceived, that's when you should be seeking uh, medical attention. Mm -hmm. But most often what happens is in your mind, you're trying, but you're not doing it on the days that you should be doing it. So you have right. a fertile <laughs> window. So yes. If you aren't having intercourse on those days, if so uh, ovulation occurs uh, on one day in the 28 day cycle that you have mm -hmm. and the egg um, as we call it, the female egg remains alive only for 24 hours. So if you miss that 24 hour window, um, you, you're just going to have to wait the following month. So sometimes it's just uh, a matter of, you know, not being well informed as to, you know, how to time um, your pregnancy and your fertile days and things like mm -hmm. that. It can be something as silly as that. So here you are thinking, hey, I'm trying sincerely every month and it's not working. There's a problem with me. There's something wrong with my partner. Mm -hmm. We probably have to go the whole nine yards into the IVF and the ART. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes it's not that. It's but just having funny. said that, like you said, Sandy, now it, it's not like, uh, you know, back in the good old days where the women got married and had a baby and thought that was their life was fulfilled. Women mm -hmm. are now more career oriented. They want to live their own lives first. They may or may not choose to have a baby. Either mm -hmm. way is absolutely fine. It's the woman and the partner, of course. It's their decision at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think any external forces should be 
coming in like the case mm-hmm. that you heard of in india uh, yeah so having said that so we used to say that you know 35 should be uh, you should try and conceive before the age of 35 because mm-hmm. that's when you're considered um, a geriatric uh, geriatric pregnancy is what we would label the term however wrong that sounds uh, but that's what it would be called an elderly uh, pregnancy but nowadays you see women who are conceiving well in their 40s like you said you did mm-hmm. i know women who have conceived at the age of 42 at the age of 49 and most not most i would say majority of them have been by choice a few of them they've been trying for years and they couldn't but they finally did um we're living in this day and age where you know you shouldn't look the, look down upon or frown upon someone who says i mm. was not able to conceive naturally i had to use mm-hmm. uh, assisted reproductive techniques or art as we call it or i had to have an ivf cycle mm-hmm. the end result is having a baby whether you had it naturally whether you had it with an ivf who cares it doesn't right. matter Yeah. I mean in my experience I didn't have to go the IVF route but one of the things I think a lot of people don't know about and you can tell us a little bit about this procedure and if you offer it I forget what the medical term is but basically um they they um just have an exploratory look at your fallopian tubes and yeah. putting that dye in there actually just opens everything up and I understand yes. that a lot of women after having that procedure that's called histosalpingography to, in medical that's why I could remember it <laughs> <laughs> that name who But yes, tell us the name once more. Histrosalpingography or HSG. Right. For sure. Yes. Um so tell us a little bit about that procedure and do you guys offer that um at yes. Health City as well? Yes, we do do it. It's uh it's basically an x-ray that we take of the uterus mm-hmm. with uh, while we are pushing in some dye. What that does is it tells us the status of the tubes mainly. Mm-hmm. We need to know whether the tubes are blocked, whether they are open. Mm-hmm. Um it also gives us information on how the canal of the uterus or the cavity of the uterus where the baby is actually going to be lodged and residing for the next 9 months looks like if there's any uh you know polyp or a fibroid well it's not going to tell me there's a polyp or a fibroid but it's going to show me that there is some defect over there which needs to be uh-huh. looked into uh, and like you rightly pointed out sometimes you know the the tubes uh, so the tubes have finger like projections at the end they call mm-hmm. the fimbriae sometimes they just might be uh, stuck together not too tight just some sticky flimsy adhesions which we might find and when we push in the dye they mm-hmm. tend to open up but then there's another subset of women where when you push in the dye mm-hmm. because of that reaction that happens the tubes tend to close up uh, mm-hmm. because it thinks it's a foreign body so that wrongly gets labeled as uh, blocked tubes uh, so we generally uh, when uh, we have a situation where the tubes are blocked at mm-hmm. the absolute ends we take it with a pinch of salt and we would probably offer you the next step which is a diagnostic laparoscopy uh wherein it's a keyhole surgery so we go in through your belly button with a thin camera we mm-hmm. look at what's happening on the inside and we would be pushing a dye uh live during surgery so since the patient is under general anesthesia um mm-hmm. uh, so the tubes will not react and will not close off to that sudden stimulation mm. um so that's how we would know right and it, yeah because i from experience i can tell you it is a very you've got about 10 minutes where you are in a little bit of excruciating yes. pain um so it's not the most comfortable thing in the world yep. um but yes so i could see where um as you say your body might react uh by actually tightening up even more 
So very, very interesting. So you offer a lot of um, services for women. We've got uh, the laparoscopic surgeries, which you just mentioned one type. Uh, you've got sling surgeries. What is sling surgeries? So uh, sling surgeries are for women who have had a prolapse. Mm -hmm. A prolapse is when you would notice uh, the vagina bulging out, uh, you know, into the uh, vaginal cavity or outside the vaginal cavity. Mm -hmm. Generally happens for women who have had uh, multiple uh, vaginal births, who have given, uh, you know, birth vaginally multiple times, who have had instrumental births. So with forceps, Mm. the vacuum who've had a big huge tear mm. and women who have uh you know crossed over the threshold and have gone through menopause so this is the most common picture that you would see someone with a prolapse mm -hmm. uh with but then there's a subset of women uh who have the prolapse in their younger days so they've just given birth once and you find that second pregnancy onwards when you examine them in the pregnancy you would notice that the cervix is outside the vaginal canal so these mm. are the women who generally uh, the sling surgery is uh, offered to so they want to retain their uterus because they haven't completed their families yet and mm. or even if they've completed their families they're very very young that we do not remove the uterus that's when we would offer sling surgery so literally imagine a sling which is pulling something back and it's mm -hmm. hitched to either the bone or the fascia which is just underneath um, the abdominal wall. So just underneath the layer of the fat, we have a thick, strong tissue, which is holding everything back in place, separating your insides from your outsides. That's where the womb gets hitched onto. Of course, when oh. you've hit menopause and you go on to the other side, mm -hmm. we generally prefer to do a hysterectomy. And most often it is a vaginal hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. uh, so we would vaginally do the surgery and hitch up your tissues depending on how bad uh, the prolapse is so we have levels of prolapse uh, even now for that we have laparoscopic surgeries or keyhole surgeries uh, for you know a stronger hitch for someone who has a fourth degree or a procedential or a complete prolapse as we call it which is not very common up to a third degree prolapse is managed beautifully vaginally but i really wouldn't recommend someone with a fourth degree or a complete prolapse to have a vaginal surgery. Hmm. Wow. Um, that's a lot to take in. So, you know, having, having a baby, um, when I spoke to my OBGYN after the pregnancy, he said, you know, Sandy, um, a woman is most at risk for dying, <laughs> you know, sort of prematurely um, during her pregnancy and after like the first, uh, I oh, think maybe six months or three months after a pregnancy, but your, your risk of something just going wrong, because again, uh, I think we underappreciate what happens when a woman has a child. I mean, it's an yes. amazing, um, production and there's so many things in your body that are trying to work together to ensure that you can bring this life, uh, full term, a healthy baby. And I know a lot of women do it, but equally there are a lot of women who miscarriage or they may, may have issues, um, along the way that make a pregnancy difficulty difficult. And so, you know, if, if you've never been through any of those situations and you've had three or four children, perhaps you don't give it a lot of thought, but when you've had a situation, you go, whoa, again, just sort of relying on personal experience, you know, I decided, you know, late in life to have that child, but of course that put me at risk of things, um, you know, uh, gestational diabetes, um, yes. which I didn't thankfully have, but, you know, high blood pressure, 
you know, all these things that you have to really consider. So tell us about the importance of ensuring that as a woman, that once you have began the pregnancy journey, that you're ensuring that throughout your pregnancy, especially if you're perhaps 35 plus, that you're really getting um, regular routine checks and how often should you be doing those throughout the pregnancy? Yes. So pregnancy is a physiological process, but like you said, we shouldn't take it lightly. Um, I've seen some horror cases back in my day when I was uh, back home in India. So I worked in a center where we would have 70 to 80 births a day in 24 hours. And uh, it was a tertiary referral center. So everything in the textbook, there's nothing in the textbook that was spared. Everything uh, mm-hmm. has been seen from the most um, you know, you can imagine it and uh, we've seen it. So that's not something that you should take lightly. You should be going often for your checks. So when it comes comes to pregnancy checks, you should be doing it once when you test positive mm-hmm. on a home pregnancy kit. That's when you should be seeing your OB the first yes. time. Uh, they will uh, run a scan. They will run a few blood tests and do a vaginal scan. Uh, to date your pregnancy, to tell you how many weeks pregnant Mm -hmm. you are, whether the pregnancy is within the womb, whether you're having a single pregnancy, whether you're having twins or triplets, uh, whether the pregnancy is an ectopic pregnancy, whether the baby's heartbeat is there or not, Mm -hmm. whether it's at the correct menstrual age that you are at. So if you think you are six weeks pregnant, the scan might say otherwise, it might say you're four weeks or you're Mm -hmm. five weeks or you're probably eight weeks instead of six weeks. So that's what that tells us. Then you Mm -hmm. go in for monthly checks thereafter. Mm-hmm. Um, till you hit your seven months or 28 weeks, after which it becomes around two to three weeks till you reach 32 weeks. And then from 32 to 34 onwards, you go in for weekly checks. Mm-hmm. Of course, along the way, if you develop something like gestational diabetes, gestational hypertension, mm-hmm. that's uh, blood pressure issues during pregnancy, uh, you will be monitored more closely. You may have to go in for more frequent checks, probably weekly checks, twice weekly checks, depending on how bad or how good your condition is. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very important to catch these things early because, for example, yes. if you have gestational diabetes, that can have implications not just for the mother, but also for the child. Yes. So you are at a risk of uh, big babies or high birth weight babies. So when we say big babies, we all think, oh, cute, chubby little things, mm-hmm. but they're not big, healthy babies. They're just mm-hmm. big babies. They, you mm-hmm. are at a risk of preterm births, you are at a risk of uh, sudden fetal demise or an intrauterine fetal death. Mm. You are at a risk of, uh, um, like I said, um, meconium staining of the baby. So fetal distress, all of these things. So you should, your diabetes definitely something that needs to be well, well, well controlled and monitored. If you have a big baby, you will end up having a C-section because Nobody's going to offer you a vaginal birth. You should not be offered a vaginal birth if the baby is above a certain weight, which is around four kilograms. I speak in kilos. I, I'm still on... Uh, Trying to figure out pounds. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So more than four kilograms is definitely not uh, advisable to have a vaginal birth because of the multitude of risk factors because the baby yeah. can literally get stuck in the vaginal canal which wow. is an emergency situation. Mm-hmm. So we do not offer that. So then you yes. come up with C-sections and because you have the diabetes that puts you at a risk for improper wound healing and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So four kilos is 8.82 pounds. That's a big baby. 
That's like a bowling ball. That's not a baby. Um, so folks, yeah, I mean, you, you've got to make sure that you're going to um, your regular appointments. And in my case, again, because I was a little bit older, I was a little bit more conscious of ensuring that that was happening. And we actually caught a situation where I felt fine. I didn't necessarily have any issues, but for some reason, the placenta wasn't really um, supporting the baby as much as it should have been. So she was a preemie. She ended up being a preemie in low weight. Um, but, you know, throughout the pregnancy, it was one of those situations where I went to one of the experts in Miami and he said, listen, if you were my patient, I would actually put you uh, at bed rest. And this was like three, four months in. He's like, I would put you on bed rest immediately. And for the remainder of the program of the pregnancy, you'd remain on bed rest. And I thought, oh, my gosh. Um, and the alternative for that was just weekly checks, um, ultrasounds, um, you know, visits and, and just doing everything. And this was at the height of Zika, which we were all afraid of. Like, we didn't even know, you know, how Zika was going to pan out. And of course, everybody was scared who was pregnant at the time of getting bitten by a mosquito and thinking that, you know, your baby could have um, been infected with, with Zika. So lots of scary things that can happen during a pregnancy, folks, that really, um, I think, put both the woman, the baby, and the entire family um, under stress. But of course, you know, your mental health and wellness is really important as well. So let's not forget that at Health City, they have an entire complement of services. So a few weeks back, we were speaking to um, their, their uh, doctor, their physician who does all the psychological services. So if you need counseling or you're stressed out, you know, make sure that you know that you can reach out to those individuals for additional support as well. So we're being joined by Dr. Pooja from Health City this morning. Chantal has a question. She says, after a prolapse, why do women get UTIs after having the sling put in? So tell us a little bit about um, that. So if somebody is getting frequent UTIs after having the sling put in, it means that it's probably eroding the bladder, which it shouldn't be. You should see your gynecologist uh, for it. They probably uh, will send you to the urologist who will put in a camera through the bladder just to make sure that there is no erosion happening there. So if there is no erosion, it might be another reason. So it might just be a coincidence that the sling is there and you are experiencing UTIs. As long as the bladder is intact and, you know, the sling is not affecting it, uh -huh. uh, it wouldn't be the cause for it. Mm, interesting. So now let's talk a little bit about a vinyl, va vaginoplasty. So this is um, uh, vaginal surgery, uh, so, I guess, cosmetic surgery. Cosmetic, yes. Uh, yes. So basically reconstructive uh, vaginal surgery. Yeah. So um, there are women now, so the same way that you are worried about your external appearance, women are mm -hmm. worried about their vaginal appearance, and rightly so. So, um, you know, after having given birth two times, three times, they would find that the vagina is lax, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's lost. Uh, the what would I say the the luster that it had yes so they would come in and opt for things like a vaginal repair or a vaginoplasty where we would be tightening mm -hmm. the vaginal um introitus or the mm -hmm. opening um as you have it then the other form of vaginoplasty is uh the the smaller lips or the labia minora as we call it Mm -hmm. So we have the labia majora, which are the thick lips. And then you have the thinner or the smaller lips, which are called the labia minora. Some women have really long, big, elongated um, elephant ear-like uh, labia minoras, mm -hmm. which tend to make them extremely uncomfortable. It might run uh, rub against their undergarments. It might cause discomfort during sex. Mm -hmm. um, or they might just not like how it looks. 
Mm-hmm. So that's when we have uh, corrective surgeries or vaginoplasties to offer. Um, super easy. You come in today, you go home in the evening. They tend to be, because of where it is located, it can mm-hmm. be a little um, of a discomfort to sit down for the first few days. Mm-hmm. But after those first few days, you're absolutely fine. Takes around six weeks to heal completely for you to see uh, what it would look like after it's completely healed. But results are absolutely good. Yes. And folks, don't forget, too, that sometimes you've had another medical procedure. So whether it's radiation or excision of the vagina to treat cancers and other conditions, that then you would follow up with having the vaginoplasty done um, to kind of complete the repair of everything um, in your private area. So very, very interesting. So any questions, 936-2626 is the telephone number. Can we talk about PFD or pelvic floor disease? Now, I'm not really that familiar with this. So this is a new one for me. What is this? So pelvic floor disease, again, again comes in the gamut of um, prolapse. Uh, Mm -hmm. Basically, um, when I say prolapse, it could mean that the the womb is shifting down or it could mean that the bladder is shifting down or the rectum is pushing up. Uh, against the vagina basically it's the laxity of the vagina which Mm -hmm. causes uh, these conditions so Mm -hmm. uh, you will notice a bulge in the vagina you might uh, feel that intercourse is not uh, pleasurable or not comfortable anymore you might uh, notice some kind of uh, you know spotting to bleeding uh, and it feels like there's been like an excoriation or an abrasion down there Um, Or you might feel that there's a lot of discharge that's coming in, like a white discharge, like most women complain of. Mm -hmm. That's the feeling that you would get that there's, or you might feel there's something in the vagina, which is kind of blocking it. So Mm. this comprises of uh, pelvic floor uh, diseases apart from uh, dysfunction. So apart from this, you also have dyspareunia, which is um, pain during intercourse, which could have a variety of reasons. One is the prolapse. The most common reason is uh, endometriosis, uh, mm-hmm. which a lot of women suffer with. Uh, endometriosis is when the lining of the uterus that is supposed to be shed out during a period mm-hmm. uh, grows outside of the lining of the uterus. So it could be growing anywhere. It could be growing on your bladder. It could be growing on the rectum. It could be growing on the side walls of the pelvis. Or mm-hmm. it could be growing, if you've had a surgery, it could be growing uh, on the inner side of the scar of the surgery, you name it. We've seen, uh, we've had cases of endometriosis where the where it was growing in the in the intestine. We've had it where it was growing. It presented as a hernia, and these are at Health City that I'm talking about. So the, mm-hmm. one presented as a hernia, uh, one presented as intestinal obstruction. We have one who is currently being evaluated uh, because she has nosebleeds every time she has a period. So mm. we're suspecting that she's having she has endometriosis, of course, in the nose. There are cases reported oh, wow. of endometriosis almost every single place in the body. Um, so and most common symptoms for endometriosis is excruciating pain. So women do tend to have pain during their periods. So generally when your periods are coming like a day or two prior, you'll know, Hey, yeah, my periods are about to come or, and you'll have cramps for like a couple of days into your periods. But in in endometriosis, the typical presentation is like a week, a week and a half before your period comes is when Mm -hmm. the pain would start. It heightens um, during your periods and then goes down um, say a week after. So imagine three weeks of the four weeks you are in pain 
Wow. So that is uh, the enormity and the extent. Now, this is the textbook picture of endometriosis. This is with someone who has full-blown endometriosis. Mm-hmm. But even with someone who has, you know, teeny tiny bits and spots of endometriosis here and there, they can have a lot of pain. So when a woman tells you that, you know, I'm in pain, don't dismiss it and say, hey, this is normal, deal with it. Everybody okay. gets beaten. So uh, it's not even the men who put you down. It would be another woman. It could be a sister, your mother, your daughter, uh, who would say, uh, I've gone through it too. I've, I have period pains too. So mm-hmm. don't, don't be a baby. Don't fuss about it too much. Just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, learn to live with it. Sometimes it might be that, you know, the pain that you have is not the pain that this next person is facing. So be empathetic. Mm-hmm. Or at least offer a listening ear. Right. Wow. And of course, seek professional advice, which is what Dr. Um, Pooja is there for, folks. So again, you can reach out to Health City at 640-4040, info at healthcity.ky. So we're focusing this morning as part of the, um, you know, Mother's Day celebration and Women's Health Week on some of the services that Health City offers specific to women. So uh, quite a bit. We've talked about, um, you know, puberty, getting started, um, pregnancies. Let's talk about we get a little bit of start to hit the menopausal um, stages. Uh, you know, it's, it's amazing to me, Dr. Pooja, how so many women have never had this conversation with anyone. Like, when does menopause start? Um, how can I know what's going on? We're kind of just, I think, thrown into you know our life cycles and we're expected to know what's going to happen. So, of course, we have professionals like yourself who can tell us a little bit more about what to expect. Right. So menopause is defined as the period where a woman stops seeing her periods for one complete year. That Uh is what menopause would be. But the period two to five years before and two to five years after would be considered Uh perimenopause. So before and after menopause. Your symptoms can start anywhere from two to five years before you hit menopause to two Uh to five years after. Symptoms being, um, you know, something as silly as, oh, I've put on weight. There's increased hair growth on my face. Or something more serious like hot flashes, night sweats, mood swings, irritability. Um, osteoporosis, all of these are, um, um, so osteoporosis is of course not a symptom, but you will have bone pains or easy uh, tendency to break your bones or repeated frequent fractures. That's what Mm -hmm. osteoporosis would present as. Uh, These are the few symptoms that uh, menopause comes with. Vaginal dryness, uh, pain during intercourse. Um, These are the symptoms. So now does every woman uh, undergoing menopause have these symptoms? Thankfully not. But there mm-hmm. are a few who have the full-blown effects of, you know, they, they are not able to function because of their hot flashes. They are not able to sustain relationships because of their mood swings. They are mm-hmm. the ones that need treatment. So there is this misconception uh, in the community that, oh, oh once I'm, hit, I'm going close to menopause or I've crossed the threshold where I've crossed my 45, 55, uh, 45 46, I need to start uh, hormone replacement therapy. Absolutely not. Hormone replacement therapy is only recommended for women who have symptoms of menopause. And when I say symptoms, it's not every symptom. So if you have uh, weight gain, you're not going to be given hormone replacement therapy. If you feel that your skin is wrinkling up, it's drying, your hair is falling. Those are not, um, you know, 
recommended uh, symptoms for therapy, uh, hormone replacement therapy. You will receive hormone replacement therapy on the other hand if you do have hot flashes, if you have night sweats, if you have severe mood swings, if you have osteopenia or osteoporosis, if you have vaginal dryness. These are the symptoms that um, hormone replacement therapy is recommended for. You do not need a hormone panel to be done. No woman mm-hmm. needs um, a routine hormone panel to be done. This is another misconception mm-hmm. uh, over here that, you know, once I cross 45, I need to check my hormones. Your hormones are going to be low. That is how it is supposed to be. Uh, just because it's low, we're not going to treat it. And um, so if I have the symptoms, again, why do I need to look for the hormones? Because mm-hmm. I'm not looking at the numbers to start a particular dose once i reach a certain so what happens is uh you will have a hormone panel which is done and you will have the symptoms and then probably uh, six months down the line they will uh-huh. repeat the hormone panel probably your levels are almost normal but that uh-huh. doesn't mean we stop uh the hrt it's not going to um solve anything so right we take symptoms as a guide for treatment Another strong point to put forth here is women who go on hormone replacement therapy because the effects are phenomenal and splendid. They do not want to stop. They do not wish to stop. Mm -hmm. So if you have hot flashes, it doesn't mean that you're going to have hot flashes for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. They're probably going to remain for a year, two years, maybe five years, maybe seven years. Mm -hmm. So hormone replacement therapy is finite. It should have an expiry date. Probably, uh, so when a woman is young, when she's 40 something, we probably will put you on hormones for the first three, four years Uh when we expect that you would be in menopause. Once that happens, we give you a break. We see how you're doing. If your symptoms have gone away, Uh we don't need to put restart the hormones. Some women restart the symptoms again. They start showing hot flashes again. That's when we have to restart. But again, every year, every six months, we try and take Uh a break and see whether we've reached the stage where we don't need the medications anymore. These hormones are meant for uh, these symptoms, but they're all double-edged swords at the end of the day. They Uh come with their own set of uh, side effects. So they are best avoided if they're not required. Right. So they're they're used to help you um, if you need it. And, you know, looking at your symptoms could be an indication of whether or not you're going to be able to benefit from that on a temporary basis. Yes. So right, most let's... women will benefit from it, even if you don't have symptoms. Uh-huh. So even if even if there's a woman who says, oh, I, I, I didn't have a single hot flash. I didn't have right. night sweats. I don't have any trouble having sex. I feel just fine. And yeah. if you start them on hormones they will say that, oh, I'm feeling much better than that than what I was feeling. My skin looks beautiful. My hair uh-huh. is great. It will have positive effects on every woman, but uh-huh. it's not recommended for it. Right. Because what are some of the downsides if you stay in hormone uh, so therapy? Most common side effects are weight gain, uh, which uh-huh. most of us women are worried about. But the disastrous side effects could be blood clots, where mm-hmm. so these are steroid hormones, which means they are fat hormones to put uh-huh. simply. Uh, your blood has to it's pumped from your heart, it runs a course through the body. Uh-huh. When it's working against gravity and coming up from your feet and your legs to your heart, that's when the problem occurs. So if these fatty hormones they tend to increase the viscosity or the thickness of the blood, literally. So uh, 
it takes that much longer for the blood to reach back to your heart, which means that there is an increased chance to produce blood clots. Now, if the blood clots are contained to your leg, it's somewhat a slightly better situation that, than mm-hmm. it would if it was dislodged and it were to move to mm-hmm. your, say, your heart, your lung, your brain. your lungs, yes. Exactly. So you, you will end up with, uh, yes. you know, a stroke or uh, a heart mm-hmm. attack, cardiac arrest or pulmonary thromboembolism where you have shortness of breath. I've seen women who've had a blood clot in their wrist, in their kidney, oh, wow. at the back of their eye, in their brain. And uh, and this is not necessarily only with menopause. This is also with younger women mm-hmm. who are on birth control pills. Yes. So um, very, very mm-hmm. common. So as for my textbooks, it's it's one of the rare side effects for birth control and hormone replacement. But mm-hmm. the number of women that I have seen who, have, who, who are currently uh, going through a situation or who have had an issue of blood clots related to hormones or who know someone in the family who has had it is not even funny. It's like it's definitely not rare by any standards. So that is uh, another side effect. Breast cancer is another major side effect for hormone replacement therapy. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when you are on hormones of any kind, be it birth control, be it hormone replacement therapy, you need to be uh, seeing your gynecologist as you are advised. So surveillance is of utmost importance. Uh, Mm -hmm. Generally, we would ask you to come in once every year. Uh, A couple of blood tests would be run. A physical would be done. Probably an ultrasound. A breast examination, very important in the course of uh, the one year, if you experience any symptoms. So we've had women who've come and said, oh, I've developed some lump in my breast. It's painful. There have Mm -hmm. been lumps, thankfully not cancerous, but which could go on to, you know, become cancer. And that's the time we have to say, stop, you are not a candidate Mm -hmm. for uh, hormonal therapy any longer. We will have to look for alternative therapies in uh, those instances. Hmm. Now, you mentioned um, birth control as well. Is there a point in time in a woman's life when she should come off of birth control and um, try to find perhaps more natural methods that, you know, don't interject any hormones uh, into her body? Because we know that birth control isn't necessarily um, like the pill and different forms of birth control isn't ideal for every single person. So let's talk about what some of the considerations are as a woman is uh, contemplating if she's going to get on birth control and what method might be best suited for her? So birth control should be stopped only when you hit menopause and you're positively, your doctor has positively told you, yes, you are in menopause now and you do not run the risk of getting pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Whether you should move on to the natural way, that depends. That's everybody's personal choice. But in terms of the pills, so now we have different kinds of pills. So you have the combined pill, which is the two hormone or the double hormone pill, that's the estrogen and the progesterone. And then you have the single hormone pill, that's the uh, just the progesterone. So the estrogen and the progesterone is, uh, so the progesterone is the lesser of the two evils when you uh, look at both of these pills side by side. So someone who is, um, you know, in the upwards of uh, 45, 46, we would not recommend uh, the, the combined pill. We would recommend the progesterone only pill or the other progesterone only contraceptives which would be the the two monthly or the three monthly shots 
or the contraceptive implant which goes into your arm mm -hmm. or the contraceptive tea which goes into your womb this is not the copper tea this is the hormonal tea or the progesterone uh, tea or the myrena is the most common one you have myrena you have kailena there are variety of uh, contraceptive um, devices which go into the womb mm -hmm. and you have your copper devices as well which are copper teas um, which just sit in the womb and by the virtue of the copper they just produce an enzyme reaction no hormones whatsoever mm -hmm. and they take care of that Mm -hmm. Now, with the progesterone, you're pretty safe in terms of... So why the estrogen-containing uh, pills are not really recommended is they put you at a higher risk for blood pressure issues. They put you at a higher risk for mm -hmm. stroke. They put you at a higher risk for cardiac issues. That's mm -hmm. the reason we prefer to use uh, only the progesterone-containing um, pills. Also, they put you at a higher risk for blood clots. Now, compared to... Um, the combined pills, the, mm -hmm. the progesterone-only pills have a significantly lower risk of blood clots. Mm -hmm. um, but if you talk about the implants and uh, the contraceptive teas which fit into your womb, these have a zero uh, risk for blood clots. So we're so sure that it's not going to produce a blood clot that if a woman presented with a blood clot while she had uh, the, the IUD or the intrauterine device or the contraceptive arm implant, we would have to look for another reason uh, as to why she threw the blood clot. Or we would say we don't know where it came from. from. Mm -hmm. That's how safe uh, these devices are. Hmm. Wow. So folks, uh, lots of information um, being provided here by Dr. Pooja. Uh, Irvlyn wants to know, she said she missed the first part of the show. Uh, she needs to come and see you and she wants to know where you're located. So um, Irvlyn, she's at Health City because this is Rundown Tuesday. So remember folks, um, info at healthcity.ky. We have a team of individuals there, or they have a team, I should say, of individuals there who will um, contact you and uh, follow up what, with whatever department you're actually interested in seeing. So if you need to uh, get in contact with Dr. Pooja, who again has provided some phenomenal information, uh, Magdalene agrees that this has been a great show. Dr. Pooja, I feel like we're going to have you back because there's so many things that we did not have an opportunity to get into. For example, yes. um, the policy cystic ovarian syndrome, which is something that a lot of women suffer from. And I don't want us to kind of gloss over that. So can we leave that for another segment, perhaps when we have you back? I'm Shamari. Uh, Dr. Pooja is, is she's in high demand. She needs to come back. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And, um, and, and just to mention that Dr. Pooja, we, we have the saying within your reach, Dr. Pooja also has consultation hours in Kamana Bay. Mm -hmm. um, during the week. So you can always call in and or info at healthcity.ky if you would prefer to see her at Commander Bay and understand which days she'll be there um, mm -hmm. so that you can also see her there as well. And and Sandy, before we end the program, just to mention um, all things women health, we extended our executive health check promotion uh, through to the end of May. So persons can still get that for 500 US and mostly your wellness benefit will help mm -hmm. you to get that covered. And our mammogram promotion for 150 US also um, goes through to the end of May. So many different things that Health City is providing that you can come and take care of your health and understand what's going on with you to make sure that you're the healthiest you moving forward for 2022. 
Wow, amazing. So uh, Chantal agrees. She says, thank you very much. Um, Alita says, good morning. Great segment this morning. Thanks to all involved. And Irvlin is happy. I think you'll be hearing from Irvlin. Dr. Pooja, you might be hearing from me as well, because I just want some um, additional information and a few things that you mentioned this morning. So folks, again, uh, women's um, wellness is what we're, we were discussing this morning. Really, really important topic. Prioritize your own health, uh, because as we said at the onset of the program, if you're not taking care of you, number one, nobody else is going to do it. And number two, the other people in your life that rely on you, whether it's a spouse, children, your parents, siblings, whatever, they need you to be the best version of you that's possible. Exactly. So Women's Health Week uh, was the 8th through the 15th. We just celebrated Mother's Day. The focus and the theme this year has been forward focus, achieving healthier futures together. So make your health a priority. There's a lot of um, options and procedures available at Health City, uh, again, whether it's managing endometriosis, taking care of fibroids, they've got minimally invasive procedures that uh, are done every single day there at the facility. So let's ensure that, um, you know, you speak to Dr. Pooja and others as part of your overall mental and physical health and wellness. And Shamari has just reminded us about the wonderful specials that they have on that you can take advantage of that's going to go easier on your pocketbooks. And of course, if you have insurance coverage, you can speak to them um, about what portions your insurance might pick up as well. All right, uh, Shamari, thank you so much, Dr. Pooja. It was so nice to meet you. Same here, Sandy. Pleasure was all mine. All right. So um, folks, tune in every single Tuesday here on um, Rundown Tuesday. Shamari always has his entire team at Health City has a lot of interesting uh, topics for us. Very, very educational. I never have a Rundown Tuesday segment that I do not learn something. And I hope that you guys are finding that to be the case as well. And don't be shy. You can call in, ask your questions, 936-2626. Irvlin says, awesome show. She absolutely loved it. Shamari, thank you so much. We'll see you next week. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Um, good stuff. So, um, and guess what? We've got an exclusive interview coming up here in just a few minutes with um, none other than per Deputy Premier, Mr. Christopher Saunders. So you definitely do not want to um, miss that interview. We learned a lot as well. So that's going to be coming up uh, here shortly. So let's just take a quick uh, commercial break and we'll be right back after these messages. Recover personal injury attorneys, helping injured people get what they deserve. Did you know that insurance companies have lawyers that represent their interests? Before signing and accepting any settlement, know your rights. Call us today for a free consultation at 924-9999. That's 924-9999. Recover. Your personal injury attorneys are on standby to assist. All right, folks, and don't forget that Recover, um, they deal specifically personal injury. We're going to learn a little bit more about their services on tomorrow's program. But let me assure you, good folks, that they're part of the Broadhurst team. And hey, they helped me win my defamation lawsuit. So I'm all about telling you guys who are the best in the game. And you definitely want to speak to Kyle and the crew over there. We do have a caller to the program. Good morning, caller, and welcome. Uh-oh. Don't know what happened. Don't know if they ran out of credit or what happened. All right, folks. So listen, on tomorrow's program, we got a lot of fun things um, that are coming up that we will be discussing, including over the weekend, there was a big 
to do um, about some street vendors um, selling at the bus stop. So of course, this is not going to go under radar in terms of our discussions. Uh, we're going to be digging a bit deeper into that conversation yesterday. A couple of things that we actually need to talk about. So Loretta is also saying educational program today's show. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, a lot of people love um, these segments. And you know, it's packed full of information. Like today I was jotting down some notes like, oh, I need to follow up and ask about this for my own care. Um, but yes, on tomorrow's show, we're going to be talking about street vendors and what is it that DCI is doing or not doing as it relates to street vendors. And it, it needs to be discussed. It's one of those community issues that's really, really important. We also need to talk about, as you guys may have heard, there's a formula shortage um, in the U.S. in particular. And we're going to talk about why that formula shortage has occurred. And is that actually going to impact us here in the Cayman Islands? We've already reached out to some of the local grocery stores to inquire um, what their current position is. And we'll give you guys an update on that as well. What else is on tomorrow's agenda? Of course, we got to talk about my 23andMe test results. So y'all want to hear exactly where I'm from and who I'm family to here in the Cayman Islands, which is super, super um, interesting. I learned a lot about myself just from looking at 23andMe. And some of it was actually in relation to my health. Uh, a bit of a shocker. So you guys definitely want to tune in for that as well. So um, folks, get your second cup of coffee, your second cup of tea, whatever it is you're drinking. We're going straight up until 10 o'clock this morning. And we're going to go ahead now and switch gears and have an interview with uh, Deputy Premier Saunders. So in this interview, Deputy Premier Saunders um, provide us with a lot of information, specifically as it relates to the budget results that just came out for the first quarter of 2022. So sit back and enjoy folks. All right. Good morning, folks. So we're having a special interview with the Deputy Premier and Minister for Finance and Economic Development, the Honorable Chris Saunders, who's joining us here to talk about the government's um, latest unaudited financial report for the first quarter of 2021. So uh, good morning to Mr. Saunders. How are you? Morning, Sandra. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. Uh, it's a pleasure having you on the show. I believe this is your first time. So guess what? We're going to give you a little bit of a Actually, a my treat. first time in this format. If you yes. go back to when you were at um, Pasadora Place, I did an interview there. You were one of our first guests. Exactly. Absolutely. So, took you I this should long say, I should say first time as, as minister. Yeah. Absolutely. As, so. as an elected person, actually. Actually, yeah. no, 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 as minister, as minister. No, as minister, because we yeah, had you minister, on, yeah. we had you on and as elected. Um, yeah. You were probably the first or second guest in the program. So everybody, let's give uh, Minister Saunders a quick applause. There we go. We love it. We love it. So um, the minister's here this morning to talk about some serious stuff, which is basically the first quarter results um, and the budget. And, you know, a lot of us don't, we hear all these numbers and I understand that sometimes we don't get it. We don't understand what it means. So uh, I know the minister has a knack for really breaking it down in common language so that we can put it in perspective and understand what the true position is for the, for the country. So I think we need to begin with the fact that the PAC government has only been, um, you know, in power now for a year, which is a relatively short amount of time, especially when it comes to um, anything to do with the budget or projections or, you know, where the country's financial position position is. So Minister, um, tell us when you got into office, where the country was and what we were looking at at that particular time. Okay, Sani, before answering that question, I just want to make one bit of um, observation. Mm -hmm. Where this government is concerned, we don't see ourselves as being in power. 
-hmm. we see ourselves as being in the seats of responsibility. The power in this business mm -hmm. actually belongs to the people. So I just want to put the mindset out there a little bit so yes. we, all, we all make clear. That's why we're a people-driven um, mm -hmm. government. But when we came into um, the office back in um, 2021, I mean, one of the first things, I mean, if you look at the pre the pre few the pre um economic um pre election economic and financial update mm -hmm. one of the first things that we realize is that we're looking at a deficit for 2021 of roughly 98 million dollars wow and then when we drill down into those numbers we realize that the forecast at the time for the stipend only went up to the month of may so mm -hmm. there was an additional 35 million that had to be added on to that number so mm -hmm. when we sat down we realized that we literally had a hole of $133 million to climb out of um, for 2021. Mm -hmm. And then going into this year, the, the forecast are just losing. Um, this isn't central government. I'm just want to clarify that. Mm -hmm. um, I was losing $58 million. So in the first task that the premier gave me was, listen, you know, DP, you need to sit down. We need to get um, all of these numbers. We, we, mm -hmm. These numbers become a reality. Right. You know, the first thing that we did um, shortly after was, we kind of put in um, a process where any invoices over five thousand dollars literally had to be signed off by a minister. Mm. Uh, what that did was two things. One, it kind of made it a little bit more difficult in terms of um, spending, so people will realize that you know we are looking at expenses. You know we, we are going to because that's the one thing that we can't control. And then two, as a lot of new ministers um, were, were basically elected, it also gave them the opportunity to kind of see, get a kind of first hand of what was really going on in their ministry. I mean, the devil the devil is always in the details to some extent. Mm -hmm. so it was kind of that learning curve um, in the sense of we just really take the ground running. Um, credit, um, a lot. I, I really have to give a lot of credit to um, the governor and the deputy governor in the sense that they too are joining to the urgency of this. And we really, really needed to um, get certain things um, under control and expense side. But mm -hmm. equally, one of the things that we also wanted to do was maintain the confidence in the economy or improve the confidence in the economy where people can feel as if though this is finally a government now that's really serious, not just about growth, but sustainable growth. So the good news of what I can say is that the 133 million that we're looking for for 2021, mm -hmm. we have literally turned that down into a 15 million deficit. So rather wow. than 133 million, the, the black hole that we had to climb out of, we finished last year at around 15 million deficit. And then this year, rather than the 58 million deficit that were forecasted, we actually were looking within the budget of just under 20 million surplus. So um, let's let's talk about just to clarify um, the 130 million versus 15. How how did that happen? How did you guys manage? Well, the revenues um, the revenues is real as revenue driven. Mm -hmm. um, the confidence um, in the economy. I mean, despite what people are saying, the confidence came in. The the, the, the developers continue to develop. Um, the coffers just continued. So people, there's a certain sense of optimism. I mean, which mm. again, that normally followed a good election boost to some extent. So regardless of what people think, people mm -hmm. felt a little more confident from that standpoint. So that was really one of the main drivers in it is on the revenue side, financial services right. continued. Um, the lands and survey, customs, everything just continued um, from that standpoint. So we were actually really happy because one of the things about people can realize that with consumer confidence is that if you feel as if though you're going to have money next month, you have no problem mm -hmm. spending money this month because we are right. still a consumer-based society. 
So that confidence has to be there where people not feeling as if I'm going to lose my job or there's, you know, we have passed the worst to some extent. Mm. So people are confident in terms of going out spending and everything else. So that was really one of the big boosts for us. And I think one of the main things that also helped is the government mindset in the sense that from a policy standpoint, our philosophy is that we must remain a private sector driven economy. Mm -hmm. I mean, the mistake that many countries have made and many people have made is that it's very easy when you're sitting in government and you have a lot of cash and everything available to you, a lot of resources that it is very easy for the government to want to do something. And Mm -hmm. I think the most important thing is to find a way to empower your people. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, um, I think the premier's um, campaign slogan said it best, best, we're community creates country. Mm -hmm. We want more things being done at the community level. Um, One of the things um, that we have also included in this year's budget and next year's budget is more funding towards having community-type events. Now, the COVID has limited a lot of stuff that we can do in that regard, but that's why we want to bring back the year show. We want to bring back the Eastern Bonfire for the simple fact that if you look at Cayman and study our success, Mm -hmm. it was never based on immigration, but rather integration. People right, coming right. here and becoming a part of the fabric, become part of the community. And that is what we really want to get back to in the sense of having that community spirit. Because the minute you create that, then it brings other things with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are quicker, there's less crime, people are quicker to report crime. And I mean, I the, the, the recent unfortunate data breach that we had, where we saw the people who actually came in and then started telling us mm-hmm. about people abuse and stipend. I mean, a, a lot of them were their own family members. Mm-hmm. And it goes to show that there's still a sense of justice. There's that, that natural part of the Cayman and people to say, you know what, this is unfair, this is not right, someone needs to do something about it. And since, those are the things that make a difference. Yes, since you uh, brought that up, let, let's touch on that just a little bit. Um, now, you know, there, there are people who are conspiracy theorists who want to believe that the data breach was... Um, you know, not accidental. Can you go ahead and just set that? No, no, it, it definitely was it was definitely accidental. And yes. I it I I really feel bad for the, for the person who, who was responsible for it felt really bad. And mm-hmm. I I can tell you it was a genuine I, I was upset at first when mm-hmm. it happened because at the end of the day it is it is something serious. It is people private information. Mm-hmm. Um you know we, we have literally laws against that. That's the reason why to go through do the necessary right. file and make the necessary arm um, reports available. But no, there were no conspiracy theory or nothing like that. Trust me, if we wanted to leak it, there are far more better ways where people stuff end up on windshield, but no, not 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 the sort. Yes. Okay, good. And so um you mentioned that as a result of that, <laughs> some very interesting developments, which include um, you know, some people, I mean, I, I didn't look at it in detail, but I just did a cursory glance of it. And I saw people who are working for government full-time, for example, and thinking, why are they still receiving this stipend? What percentage of um, people on that list do you think were actually trying to defraud the system or potentially take advantage of the system when, where there was not a genuine need? If you had to wager a guess, I know that you obviously you I, had some reported to you, but... No, no. If I go back to my first press conference, um, where I said that we definitely weren't going to look at it. Mm-hmm. The truth of the fact is, Sandy, I never did because once you go down that road, you can't not go. You, you can't stop yourself from going down there. Mm-hmm. And we just made the decision that rather than focus on the negative, we're just going to focus on getting people work, 
and getting people assistance. Mm-hmm. Because worst case at a minimum, you you you, you always have two two percent to five percent of fraud. I mean, mm-hmm. and that's about anything that government does. Right. And right. I was not one to have my team. I already have a small ministry team as is. We we weren't going to use our resources to go and look for that. We just made up our mind we weren't going to do it. So we accepted that there were going to be fraud in the system, and that would have mm-hmm. been done. They, mm-hmm. It is when people start reporting to us now. I mean, at that point, we're like, well, if people went out of their way to really report to us as they would do any other crime, then we have a responsibility to actually do something about it. And that's the reason why we made that decision. But in terms of using our resources, I mean, we already have enough programs as it is right now. We're trying to get people trained up. We're trying to get as much of our system automated. I was not going to waste any of my resources. I mean, to go out there and find fraud. I mean, we just made that decision. We weren't going to right. do it. Right. And okay. I mean, so this just came out and it was accidental. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it genuinely was an accident. And I really do apologize to the many people, again, who received the um, stipend and their information was public. I, I really want to apologize again on behalf mm-hmm. of my ministry for, for that error. Right. And where are we with the stipend now? Are we coming closer to ending that entirely? Are we still months away? Um, it, it is, well, one of the things, and I let, let me put it this way. As the Minister with Responsibility for Labour, I have not yet discussed this in my caucus. So again, you know, bound by collective responsibility. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that we want to maintain is support for working families, for working people. Mm-hmm. And I think we just need to find some way in which of packaging that, whether it should be my ministry or maybe Minister Andre ministry to, to deal with it going forward. But we do recognize that a, at the end of the day, tourism will not make it back for the, the majority of this year. I mean, mm-hmm. Minister Brian has done an excellent job. I mean, we did a presentation, I think maybe a week, a week ago, a little over a week ago, mm-hmm. where we saw the initial numbers and the target for this year was to get back to 40% of 2019 numbers. And then the target for next year was to get back to 70% of um, 2019 numbers. And to ministers, Brian Credit and his team at DOT and his ministry on um, tourism, they have already hit the 45% mark, I think, in the month mm-hmm. of April in terms of the wow. 2019 numbers. So the, the trending mm-hmm. is there. The revenues mm-hmm. haven't caught up yet, but the, the trending is there. So that we are a bit optimistic about and then for mm-hmm. next year so i suspect i mean i and I, listen i have to give kennedy um his due they he is fired up he's ready to go his team is motivated um they mm-hmm. did a presentation to their last week and even some of the possible expansion routes that they're looking at you know i mean so I, what i can say is that his ministry and his team is fully switched on mm-hmm. and that for us is one of the biggest things for us um Minister Andre team and financial services, I mean, is already um, on point. I mean, I looked at their first quarter numbers and one of the things that we did was we went back and could we know in financial services, the first quarter is normally the strongest. That's the reason mm-hmm. you see the government position as is. Right. One of the things that I did, um, which I asked my team to pull together for me, was we went back the last five years and we look at what Q2, Q3, Q4 revenues were like. Mm-hmm. So then we add that on to like what the first quarter is and also look at what percentage of um, first quarter revenues was a percentage of the whole and everything else. Mm-hmm. And we are optimistic that at least the, the numbers that we have included in the budget this year for revenues from financial services 
we're definitely going to, I think we're going to surpass those. And again, it just goes to show that the, um, the, the, the confidence that we, we maintain within the financial services industry, you know, despite the, the different challenges, um, Minister Andre has been doing a very good job in that regard. Mm -hmm. And I think it also helps the fact that the Premier also was a previous Minister of Finance, so, sorry, Minister of Financial Services. So mm -hmm. it's almost as if though you have double the expertise available within this government for such an important sector. Right. So let's just have a look here. We have um, in the latest figures that were re released uh, just a few days ago, this is the comparison that you were just mentioning of quarter yep. one financial performance over the last three years. So in fact, um, overall revenues, there's an increase. 73 um, million above um, 20 from 2019. Yeah. Wow. And then uh, we've got different categories here, operating expenses, operating surplus, and then a surplus and deficit, surplus of the public sector, of the entire public sector, and then the total bank account balances. First of all, I don't recall, and I mean, you can certainly correct me um, if I'm wrong on this one, but I don't recall having received this level of information um, in previous elections or previous elected governments is is that my imagination or is this something new that your government has undertaken to do no i think in fairness to the minister of finance team with the financial secretary the accountant general and those guys they actually do publish information i i can tell you right now the amount of information available even from eso the minister of finance and many ministers across is there the civil service actually does a wonderful job in terms of getting information out mm -hmm. where we fall down is that you know you gazette something you publish something but you don't spend the time out then to go and explain it to the public or put emphasis on it you know mm -hmm. what I mean? and again these are the kind of stuff that makes a difference in terms of maintaining confidence in your economy in the sense of what it is that the government you know what shot the shot the government can take because at the end of the day it is still the people's money right you know what right. i mean so i'm not going to sit back and depend on the media to just okay the government has made a gazette we have published something we have made a report public i'm not going to sit back and just depend on the media to carry it because mm -hmm. if that's the case then the, the t that we have in our part government of being transparent is something that we wouldn't be living up to so it's important for us for the people to know exactly where the finances are so if you look we also did it for the month of february too when mm -hmm. we hit two billion dollar mark and the plan actually is to provide monthly updates on government finances going forward. I mean, that that's pretty much where we are. That's what our plan is um, for this year. So mm -hmm. we missed the month of January because we we're everything was a little hectic with year-end audits and everything else. And I looked at the January numbers. I know they were a little bit off in terms of accruals and everything else. So mm -hmm. I didn't want to go and knowing that we still have some adjustments to make in the month of January. So that's why we started with the February. We're doing March, and then as soon as we have the um the April numbers um finalized, the press release will follow, so people can have an idea as to where we are as we move along. So we don't want anyone to have any surprises, mm -hmm. and it's important for the people to realize that the government is in a strong position. I mean, we have hurricane season coming up. You know, there are challenges that we'll have there within itself. Mm -hmm. So it's important for the people to know that their collective financial position is actually sound in case of any emergencies or anything else you know and i mean so that's one of the things that we definitely want to um, look at but at the same time too we there is something that we're working on because it's one thing for us or as the government or the people finances associated to be doing well but we can't be consider ourselves being well in government if the overall population isn't 
So there's something that we're actually working on right now. And as soon as we finalize it, um, it's going to be lovely. I, I, I welcome it. Um, the, excuse me, the premier will actually be making that announcement hopefully soon, um, mm -hmm. something that we're working on. But I think people are going to be very, very happy in that regard. Mm, all right. Sounds very, very enticing. So this yeah. next one, the summary of the financial position for core government, this is table three. Can you just give us in layman's terms, what is it that we're looking at here? Basically, what we're saying is um, if you look at the total assets um, as of March 31, it's a little over $3 billion. And the total liabilities mm -hmm. over a billion. So last month, for example, the month of, when we did the February financials, I should say, because these are March, we read actually across the $2 billion in net assets in the sense of we have a situation right now where the first time ever in February is when we hit the $2 billion mark in terms of net assets. And mm -hmm. we're basically growing that from, from where we stand. So it's pretty much, again, a very good position to be in. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things, um, go back to, I think there were several slides. You can go back to yeah. the table. So we have, this was the um, breakdown of revenues yeah. collected. Yeah, there was a separate table I think that was also an attachment that just kind of did that overall. Yeah, that one. Can you enlarge on that one? Oh gosh, that might be as big as we can get it, Minister. Okay. Let <laughs> so me um I, I I knew it can't um Yeah, that's all right. I, I have it here. Yes. Um, but just to put it in context, I mean So this is the executive the summary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, we included that because that's just like a snapshot of um many of the different things. One of the things that we are um, looking at from that standpoint, I mean, if you were to go and Google countries mm -hmm. with like the lowest debt to GDP, I mean, Cayman would definitely would be in the top five. Mm. You know what I mean? So even and even with the borrowings that we had approved in the last budget, it would still put us in the top five in terms of a percentage. I mean, we are talking about, I mean, at the end of March, our total debt balance was um, 200, um, sorry, yeah. $218 million, you know what I mean? Um, but at 2019, just to put that in context, we are roughly at $418 million. So between 2019 and 2022, we have actually paid it down by almost $200 million. You know, so we are moving in the right direction in, in that regard. But one of the main things for us that we, the one thing that we are more concerned about, or the two things I should say, is one is pretty much getting the, employed, the, the, um, the economy back up to full productivity. Tourism still has its challenges, and that's the reason why I, I love what Minister Bryan is doing in that regard. Mm -hmm. But then the other is the cost of living, because you can recognize also that government is still the large the purchase, the, the, the largest purchase of goods and services in a country. Right. And the same cost of living the people is also in our finances too. So right now at this very um moment, um Minister Jay is actually in um Jamaica in terms of start looking at our own food security initiative. But one of the things that have always baffled us is that, you know, we go to Florida, we buy a lot of stuff. But when you look at where those stuff come from, they're coming from Central and South American countries. They come from other Caribbean countries. So they're literally bypassing us, going up north. So it's taking way more time. We're losing freshness. We're losing shelf life mm -hmm. you know, for it to go all the way up there and then come back down it's there. It's costing so, more. Yeah. So one of the things that we are looking at now, and again, I mean, kudos to Minister Jay in that regard, where we are now looking at what it is that we can do to partner, you know, with Jamaica, um, Honduras, Costa Rica, um, Belize, Nicaragua, you know, different places in terms of how we can start increasing um, direct um, imports um, from those countries to actually one, reduce costs and also increase in terms of increasing freshness from that regard. So it is an issue. And if you do look 
in most countries around the world. I mean, especially what's going on in Ukraine now. I mean, mm-hmm. amount of um, soya beans um, that come out of um, and wheat that come out of Russia in Ukraine. I mean, even India right now is even beginning to feel it from that mm-hmm. time. So it is one of the things that we have to take um, serious. And it's funny enough, we pay a lot of attention in different industries from tech to banking and pharmaceutical mm-hmm. and everything. The biggest industry ever worldwide is still agriculture. Mm-hmm. People still have to eat. There is no app for food. There is no app for that. You have to eat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so those are the kind of things um, that we are looking to focus on. And if we can build these um, partnerships up, I mean, I spoke to Minister Jay up to um, two nights ago, just to kind of get a feedback. Well, he calls me literally every day just to kind of check in, you know, to see mm-hmm. what the day was going and everything else. And one of the things that we just want to make sure from a quality standpoint is that we have the proper people here in place to go to those different um, plants, do the proper inspection to make sure that they meet certain um, criteria and everything else. I mean, the good thing with bringing stuff in the States is that, you know, you have the FDA up here that actually Mm -hmm. looks at different things. But whereas here, we just need to make sure that if we're going to be bypassing the States that at least we have the same inspector type um, regime in place to make sure that whatever is coming is a certain quality. I mean, baby food right now is one of the biggest things, mm-hmm. that's the big issue right now. Yeah. And of course, I mean, there are companies in the Caribbean that actually manufacture baby food. So it's about mm-hmm. building those relationships up. I mean, last month, I think it was here, you saw the premier in Barbados um, meet with some of the, the Caribbean people. And he's also been um, building, well, continuing to build those relationships with other Caribbean islands, because at the end of the day, in any emergency, they're still the closest neighbors that we have, whether for them to help us or for us to help them we're still part of the same region so it's important for us to live good at our neighbors to some extent you know what i mean and if there's a shortage of something here i mean you know the u.s one of the first things if there's a shortage they may put a ban on exports so mm-hmm. from that standpoint we just need to make sure that we have proper things in place to make sure that our people can still get the same um, goods and services or in this case more goods that they're used to getting and that it is available and is of quality and also affordability. And, you know, I'm, I'm so glad that you mentioned the baby food shortage because just earlier today I was listening to an NPR interview with um, the FDA commissioner, Mr. Robert uh, Califf on this. And it's, it's very, very interesting what has happened and what has actually caused this. And it's because one of the plants and, you know, there's only four manufacturers apparently in the U.S. who account for some 90 percent of the baby formulas that are on the market, which is amazing when you think about that. But one of those had to be shut down by the FDA for um, you know some quality control issues. And that shutdown has now resulted in the shortage. Um, albeit on the one hand, it's it's not as immense as people think, but it's big enough and it's impacting, you know, of course, uh, the underprivileged, the poor individuals, which are always the ones to be impacted by these sorts of shortages first. And so it is having quite a detrimental impact. There was a foot, uh, a picture of, you know, shelves being completely empty of baby formula. And I mean, that's a necessity for people who, for whatever reason, are not able to um, to give, you know, young infants, um, you know, breast milk. And there's a number of reasons why that could happen. So I think that more and more we're, we're recognizing that food security is a concern um, worldwide and definitely here in the Cayman Islands, it's, it's a concern in the U.S. 
as well. Uh, you know, they're looking at trying to get that plant back up to operations. But of course, you can't ever compromise or risk food quality, especially things that you're giving to infants. Yeah. Uh, so very, very tricky situation. But for the benefit of our listeners, I'm going to play that interview. It's just a four or five minute interview a bit later on so that they can get a real understanding of exactly what's causing it and, and you know, what's happening. Because I think in the bigger scheme of things, we're a small um, island and, you know, we need to look at even larger countries than us are having chain supply issues. Uh, sometimes because of COVID, sometimes because of, you know, what's happening uh, in Europe, what's happening with the war um, in Ukraine. And, you know, we need to understand how our reliance on those countries or those um, entities can really impact, you know, everything right down to our food. You are so right. As a matter of fact, um, when we were in Little Cayman, we had approved in caucus, I try to remember was also in the cabinet agenda. Um, it could have been on the cabinet agenda, but I know for certain we, because it was it dominated our caucus um, discussion, well, dominated part of our caucus discussion. Mm -hmm. came on. But what we did was we looked at the um, the trade statistics that were actually prepared by the ESO. You know, we basically made that um, public. But one of the things that we looked at was the amount of, we kind of did a detailed analysis of all the stuff that we were importing. Mm -hmm. And then we were asking basically between Minister Andre, myself, and Minister J, in terms of, I mean, you start importing two, three hundred million dollars worth or something. Mm -hmm. At some point, you have to ask yourself the question: Can we do this here? Mm -hmm. I mean, you take for example. I mean, at one point we had um, in Cayman dairy milk. We had our own. Excuse me. You well, you'd have been old enough to remember when we had our own dairy farms here, and we literally used to have milk. Yeah, milk. We, I, I may have been in the states at that time, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's fine. Okay. But yeah. For people old enough, they, they remember because up to the 50 years ago, this up to the 70s, mm -hmm. we were actually only importing around 30% of what we need. A lot of the stuff that we wanted, we actually used to do for ourselves. And then the question is, you know, where did we, I mean, fall down? I mean, typically, if we go back mm -hmm. to the 80s, which they call a decade of excess, mm -hmm. where a lot of um, countries who used to do things on their own, basically, that America found themselves in a situation where they were overproducing. And as a result, they started to flood the global market. And I mean, so it was, it became cheaper to actually import something than to do it yourself. Mm -hmm. Now the question is, no, do we have to ask ourselves the question, is it now cheaper? And even if it is cheap, even if it is not, is it better for us in the long-term security that there are mm -hmm. some things that we should be doing for ourselves? And I think right. that is one of the questions that we need to ask. So, you know, one of the things that we, we learned very early in finance is be careful, you know, the cost of everything and the price of nothing. Because there's some things you can't put a price mm -hmm. on such a peace of mind, knowing that, yes, it may cost a little bit more, but at least it is yours and, you know, you have some level of security. Yes. You know, just um, last week we had an interview with Mr. Norman Bodden. He was talking about that in Great reference man. to Cayman Airways and why, um, you know, the government has been subsidizing Cayman Airways. But early on, as the first uh, managing director at Cayman Airways, they understood the importance of really fighting for that airline to have our own um, independent airline where anything that happened here in the Cayman Islands, our people had a route in and out of this country without having to rely on a foreign carrier. And he said that, you know, sometimes it was a tough political battle to get people to understand the importance of that. And then there are other times, for example, Hurricane Ivan, that it became clear to everyone that having your own national mm -hmm. airline was something that you almost can't put a price tag on. Now, the, the thing about it is, I, I remember there was a time 
when I think government was subsidizing turtle farm to the tune of like 10 million. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying to somebody, at that time, turtle farm had that massive debt that they were carrying, mm-hmm. which the government was paying. So even if they had, let's say, shut down turtle farm, mm-hmm. the government would still be stuck with 6 million. So the real subsidy for turtle farm at the time we were looking at was really 4 million. And what were you getting for 4 million? An organization employed 100 people directly, another 500 indirectly, and at over 200,000 visitors a year. So then I asked someone, we're in Cayman, if you can get 600 people employed mm-hmm. and over 200,000 visitors that cost $4 million, that's a bargain. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you really start, I mean, sitting down and breaking things down. And the thing about it is this, the, the mistake that, I mean, if you look around, I'm old enough to remember when there was Eastern, mm-hmm. when there was TWA. I mean, even here in Jamaica, I mean, I'm old enough to remember all of these different airlines that was once there that that's no longer here but you know we're still here and the thing about it is this from the government standpoint our government my government we see Cayman Airways as an economic accelerator in the sense that what it does I mean both directly and indirectly for the country is almost immeasurable in terms of that peace of mind mm-hmm. I mean we're in a situation where I mean you look at during COVID other Caribbean islands needed stuff that we had access for we're able to you know put stuff on our planes and send it down there. I mean, to St. Lucia was referenced at that point. You know what I mean? We have a situation where, you know, we have our people stranded different places. We could have our own airlift flights to bring people in and out and so forth. So you, you can't put a price on that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And this is why I say, and again, you know what I mean? You, some things may cost a little bit more, but the security that you get from it, it's, it's something completely different. Yeah. And it can be life saving. I mean, we take, for example, um, the young toddler recently, um, the Jamaican toddler who was here staying with her mom and had to, you know, had to get immediate treatment. Um, Although she wasn't able to go to the U.S., we provided the max aid Mm -hmm. at no cost so that that child could get to Jamaica to the children's hospital there and get life saving treatment. So, you know, that's... um, that's just amazing. So let, let's go back then to um, some of the summaries in, in your budget. So we have here surplus for central government, the highest ever, and it surpasses pre-COVID levels. So that was the first quarter of 2022, recorded mm-hmm. a surplus of $220 million, uh, which was $18.624 million, better than the budget um, of 202. So just kind of break that bit down for us a little bit. The, one of the things, I mean, we expected the first quarter to be strong. I mean, again, mm-hmm. because the bulk of financial services came in but right. one of the things that the, the real measure for me that um i'm quite happy with mm-hmm. is if you look at there's something financial term we call jaws if you think mm-hmm. about it like like a jaw is the percentage increase in revenue versus mm-hmm. the percentage increase in expenses right and right. what we found in that point is that the percentage increase in revenues i think was 10.6 percent mm-hmm. and the percentage increase in expense was actually 8.6 percent so what it basically means is that you're growing, your revenues are still growing faster than your expenses, which is what you want. If you have, if it was in the reverse, we're, if every year your revenues are growing by 5%, expenses are growing by 10%, at some point they're going to overtake each other. You know what I mean? So, but as long as your growth in revenue is more than your growth in expenses, that's always a good sign. And I really, again, can't thank enough. I mean, and the, the premier thing um, alluded to it in his um, quote was the thousands of people who, in essence, have said, you know what? Let me forego that expense, but at the same time, not um, what we call the impact, the, the service delivery, the quality of service delivered to the public. So that was a big thing for us in that regard. And I really, really want to thank 
the government, the deputy government in that regard, because they have, in essence, helped us a lot in terms of um, getting a lot of the, the, the public servants on board in that regard. There's still some areas that we want to zoom in on. Um, there's a big announcement coming up, probably sometime later this month. Um, again, I will leave the relevant minister to make that call, but what I can say is um, it's something bold. It is something that should have been done a long time ago, um, similar to what we did with our cynical expansion too. So there are some bold decisions that need to be made. And honestly, I, I am extremely proud of the team that we have. We don't always agree on every single thing, which is the way it's supposed to be. You know, you're supposed to have your arguments, you're supposed to have a debates, because politics itself is still about ideas, ideals, and ideology. And I mean, everyone comes at their separate one, but once you, you know, you have those debates, you know, you have those discussions, you know, you have those disagreements, but then you come to consensus. And that is one of the things I actually like about the group is that, you know, you, you will have the, the big disagreements and that's given in this business. But to the um, Premier's credit, I mean, he does referee a lot of the debates and mm -hmm. a lot of disagreements are very good. I honestly, I I am honestly impressed with his temperament. Um, <laughs> no, no, I, no, no. Yes, he has a listen, lot of patience. Listen, Sandy. Yes, this I've, I've, seen it, I've seen it at work a little bit. Is by nature an alpha personality. Yes. No one gets up and do this business without having some level of alpha personality. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you, you literally become lions to some extent in this business. Mm. But the most important thing is to make sure that we use this alpha personality to fight for our people, to get things for our people. Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And that's really what it is about. Um, so just as though right now, as we were having this discussion right now, there are people meeting mm -hmm. around, not even just here in Cayman, around the world, thinking of ways in which they can take you know, people are earning money out of their pocket. They use terms like, oh, increase share of wallet, increase this, increase that. They're basically just trying to take your money. Mm -hmm. And the same amount of energy that they put into doing that, we also have to put in a greater energy than they're doing to actually try to protect and, and preserve what it is that our, our people is having. You know, one of the things right now that we are pushing to try to create is a capital market in Cayman. I mean, we have a situation right now where our mortgages are still being um financed by overnight money so every time there's increase in the prime rate you know there is an automatic increase here in a lot of people mortgages and i mean a 50 um half a percent hit like they had the last time was actually quite massive mm -hmm. and what people don't realize is this nobody has on deposit a 20 25 30 year deposit in a bank nobody mm -hmm. when those banks are taking your overnight money or your five-year max fixed term money and lending over 25, 30 years, mm -hmm. they're creating something called liquidity risk. There's a cost to their capital for doing that. We right. have rules right. in the banking that limits that. So our goal right now is to actually try to create a capital market because there are times in the US where even the prime rates have gone up and actually people mortgage rates have gone down because mortgages in the US are actually backed by the bond market as opposed to you know, the overnight market to some extent. So what we want to do is start separating the two. So if you mm -hmm. can sit down now and have bonds issue where you say to somebody, let's issue a 20-year bond, I'm paying you at 2% or 3%. Then mm -hmm. the issue is that we now have long-term money that's being invested. So when people talk about, you know, bringing back the pension money here, I will ask the question, bring back the pension money to do what? So because the banks, if you look at the banks, they're all awash with liquidity. We don't have a cash orders in Cayman. We don't have a liquidity problem in Cayman. 
you know, but what we do have a problem with or a challenge is long-term fixed money. And that's one of the things that we are trying to develop. And I'm hoping that's one of the things that we can get done in this term. And that's the reason why when we issued the, um, the RFP, we were looking, trying to explore all different options. So you take, for example, um, um, agriculture. That is mm -hmm. something that we're serious about um, doing. Now, you can't lend somebody, if you're in a traditional bank, you lend somebody a money, you expect them to start paying it back very shortly. Mm -hmm. If you're an agricultural business, by the time you get a land, develop that land and plant the crops and if your crops to grow, you can't start paying back no money in no two, three months. It may take you three, four years for you to start, you know. So mm -hmm. what you need is those little instruments that allow someone to say, you know what, they can develop something. They can go five years without paying. That's why you know, things like bullet bonds and those things are created where you issue it and then at the end of a period of time, you just make one big payment, that kind of thing. You know, not to say that we're looking there, but what we're looking at is a combination of different ways to have money so we can finance different projects differently. Because someone that's doing a housing scheme isn't the same as someone who's trying to, um, to build um, an agricultural industry. You can't treat them the same way. They have different financing needs. One after you know, 12 to 14 months, his houses may be ready to go hit the market. A farmer can't say the same thing with his crops in terms of getting land and of course then you have all the different weather different issues that can affect it so it's about a matter of finding diversifying our balance sheet and what it is that we can actually do to start developing certain industries in cayman hmm. sounds very innovative well we're all looking for solutions um to the to the mortgage issue because obviously the feds has said that listen it's going to go up at least another six times um, in this year. So I don't think anyone uh, who has a mortgage, it's not a fixed rate mortgage is looking forward to that. Um, the results were the highest ever folks. Again, this is actually just to the record. Yes. There is um, a bank that we have been speaking to. Mm -hmm. um, we're, they're actually looking at even doing a fixed year um, mortgage, um, which I think is like I said, there are some things that we're working on. Because mm -hmm. one of the main things that we want to do is to get the private sector to do a lot of stuff. I mean, the main thing about it is yes. and then finding a way to reward them for being good behavior. So mm -hmm. there, there's something that we're working on, and I'm hoping that before the end of next month at a minimum, some of these announcements can start being yep. made. And I think consumers need to be more proactive as well, because after the second increase, you know, I reached back out to my bank, which is Cayman National. I think everybody knows that I'm always singing their praises. And I said, listen, I see what's coming. You know, what can you guys do for me in terms of a fixed rate? Because I did that during COVID. We actually had for the two year period of COVID, we had mm -hmm. a fixed rate. And literally the month before the Fed decided to make the first increase, um, the bank came back to us and said, you know, what do you want to do? Do you want to remain in a fixed rate? Or and I thought, hmm. No, it hasn't risen in a while. I think we're good to go back to the the variable rate. And of course, Murphy's Law. <laughs> you mm. know, it wasn't a good idea. So but I'm no, if you follow the Fed forecast, if you had if you had asked me, I'd tell it to go back. I got to talk to the people who know all about money, right? But um, yeah, no, I, I've gone back to them since then. I have said, listen, you know, what are my options? And they do offer two and three year um fixed rate options for, for your mortgage interest rate folks. So sometimes you just have to ask. 
and you'd yep. be surprised what's available. So I'm gonna try to lock something in over the next couple of years. But um, the results uh, for the budget, again, folks, this is the first quarter results um, for the Cayman Islands government, highest ever for a first quarter and surpassed the pre-COVID levels, which I think is really uh, quite impressive. Let's look at now revenues, again, being the highest ever and best, um, better than budget. So um, again, projections well underway in that regard. For expenses, because of course you can make all the money in the world, um, but you know if if you're spending more than you're making, then you still got a problem. So for expenses on the expenses side, we had lower than budget, but still above pre-COVID level. So, uh, Minister, if you could kind of break that down for us a little bit. Yeah, if you look, um, I think one of the tables where we actually broken down the different um, revenues um, by the, 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 the large groupings. Mm -hmm. If you look at this general register fees, I mean, in 2019, that was just under 132 million. No, we're basically 151 million. So that's 19 million dollars up. You look at SEMA fees, I mean, that was 86.6 million, um, just under 87 million. And now we're talking about 139 million. So you're basically looking at roughly 52 million um, right there in terms of that bucket. So just alone, just financial services alone. Um, the 52 plus the 19, that's about 71. And I basically said it was a $73 million increase between 2019 and 2022. I mean, SEMA fees and general register fees is pretty much the bulk of it. Mm -hmm. um, work permit fees um, are also up to, um, I think about 5.3 million. If my maths is um, 5 million or something right there. Um, property related, I mean, that's up a, a small amount. But tourism is actually down. And if you look at even import um, duties, that, that is actually also um, slightly up, but I mean, still down. Now, the thing with import duties, that's a little bit tricky, mm -hmm. is that what's also driving that because of the global inflation and a lot of the stuff that we charge duty on is based on value, then you find out that naturally we will collect more because of inflation. But when you look at the actual items such as alcohol and fuel, which we don't charge on value, but we actually charge on volume, those are actually significantly down compared to where we were in 2019. And that's a result of having you know, less rental cars on island, less tourists being on island, um, you know, drinking up and having fun and so forth. So mm -hmm. that's the one category that we are concerned we, we're looking at because it speaks to the volume of people here and what it is that people are actually consuming. But I mean, it is still financial services that has been driving it. The private fund fees alone has been one of the biggest additions um since um i think 2021 when that came online the private fund fees has really made a big difference and just to kind of put that in context for your um listeners and your viewers and again i'm just going my memory a little bit so just bear with me mm -hmm. i mean pre-covid tourism accommodation tax the government was like around 36 million thereabouts and what we made on cruise departure tax was about 11 million so that right here have been 47 million in direct revenues to the government from you know, um, tourism accommodation tax plus the cruise departure tax. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That's 47 million. Right now, that entire revenue that we have basically lost has been replaced by one line on the private fund fees. So again, private fund fees is making over 50 something million dollars a year for us. And that's one of the reasons why from the government standpoint on the revenue side, mm -hmm. you haven't directly seen the impact as much because of that one line. And if you look at the SEMA fees from 86 million to 138 million, the real growth there has been on the um, the private fund fees. That's what's really been driving it. Mm -hmm. but, I mean, but then, like I said, when you look at the import due to revenues, 
and you look in terms of um fuel actually i don't need to guess it i have my notes right here one second i'll just put it in context for you mm -hmm. um if we look at um here we go um yeah here we go alcohol and tobacco mm -hmm. i mean alcoholic beverages back in the first quarter 2019 we made 5.8 million um for this month we actually did actual revenue 5.2 million um gasoline was 4.3 million here we just did on a 3.4 million you know what i mean so mm -hmm. it is, those are the kind of ones that we look at to say well you know those are volume driven business and you know it's based on what is you know what the volume that we import you know what I mean? and as a result mm -hmm. you can see we're still below 2019 um numbers from that standpoint Mm -hmm. So it is, like I said, and the main thing for us too, where we really want to get tourism back up, is that there's also the overall economic activity that is missing from the multiplier effect of having that money in the economy circulating around. But then there's also the impact for people in that industry on a personal level. Where and this is what you can't put a price on, in the sense of they're not at 100% productivity yet. Mm -hmm. and nobody wants to feel you know nobody wants to be doing less than they know they're capable of i mean we talk about unemployment numbers but not many people talk about unemployment you know how many people are doing jobs in which they're far more qualified to do they know they're capable of doing more right. and they just want that opportunity those are the kind of things you can't put a price on you know what i mean and so the, the numbers are one thing but we still have thousands of people in our islands and our family who wake up every day and not feeling that 100% of productivity of what it is that they're capable of. Mm. And that more than anything is what eats away. And that's why the Premier and my other colleagues you hear talk about closing the dignity gap because at the end of the day, I mean, I know people, you know, they get invited out to their friends on for a happy hour. They don't go simply because they can't afford to buy a round. Mm. I mean, you can't put a price on that. You know, for people staying home, and of course, they're probably binge watching on Netflix, and of course, that also leads to other health issues too. So, it is that's the part of the people part of the equation that this government is concerned about that we need to tighten up, and that's one of the reasons why we want to do more things to bring people together, mm -hmm. but also people to feel it, feel to feel their value. Absolutely, quality of life, really. You know, every single person. Um, last week or the week before i mean we had a presentation from inclusion Cayman. i mean that group has been doing a wonderful job mm -hmm. in terms of you know i mean how do we get more of you know our people who are disabled for, for different reasons as part of society mm -hmm. we have a too long leave uh, a large part of our community and their extended families um out of men of decision making process or consideration process and those mm -hmm. are the kind of things that we need to fix because at the end of the day this is still about the people. This is the people's business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I feel what it comes down to. Yeah. Wonderful. So before we wrap up um, with the minister and deputy premier, um, let's just talk a little bit about, you know, we're talking about employment. So let's just talk a little bit about what's happening on the labor front. Um, I think we're still waiting on, on some reports and figures coming out of the ESO there, um, you know, census that was conducted last year but what what's the labor market looking like and what do you see this government being able to do to improve um opportunities for caymanians um 
one of the things, and it, it's I'm kind of glad you asked that question to some extent, because one of the things you, you hear a lot of stories about um, people can't get work permits, people can't get this, people can't get that, and are still called fat. You look at the actual work permit revenues, um, it doesn't sh show that picture. What what is actually happening more now is more scrutiny mm. by the different boards, by the different um, entities that are looking um, in terms of work permits. And what you also have, which is on the increase, is more people actually using the complaints hotline mm -hmm. in terms of being denied opportunity. I mean, that one has actually gone up, I think, a massive increase in terms of the last numbers that we looked at, where people are actually complaining more. I, I wouldn't say complaining more, but people are bringing more things to our attention that has to be considered. Um, one of the things that we are working on is an accreditation program in the sense that we recognize that mistakes have been made in the past. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things that I would say to my colleagues when they come to me and say to me, you know, DP, so-and-so is complaining about getting a work permit. Mm -hmm. First, I would ask them, ask them if they've ever been fined by the work department, mm -hmm. ask them if they've been fined by government, because those are things that we don't publish. So mm -hmm. you can't expect to get your hand caught in a cookie jar for, you know, breaking parts of the rules and you know, the regulations and then expect, I'm just going to like, forget about that. You tried it, it didn't work. You paid your fine, but I must forget mm -hmm. the bad behavior. No. So I will always say to them, ask if they are on my IRIS register. You know, because if you're on IRIS register, it means then that we're going to put more scrutiny mm -hmm. on your um, application. And, and so rightfully so. Yeah. So one of the things that we are looking at now is to say, you know what? We recognize a lot of stuff in the past. What is that? What is that? There's nothing you can do to change that. We're bringing an accreditation system, hopefully we finish um, before the end of next month, where we can say, well, this is what we consider to be a good employer. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we're working on right now is actually automating the entire work process. Because we process around 56, 5,700 decisions a month. But what people don't see from that is that most applications aren't one go. Sometimes it takes two, three, four times for them to get it right. Either they, they left that off, they left out an address, they left out something. And it's more work for my team to be going back and chasing them back up to, to Seneca. What we don't want to do is just outright turn on a permit. So I have to go back now and say, can you go back and fix that? And those things take time. So right. one of the things that we're looking at now is actually automate the entire work permit system where you can't upload any, everything, you can't upload the documents until everything has been in place. Because if not, the system just won't allow you to, to, um, to, to complete it. Mm -hmm. And what we're open for now is to have the metrics built in where if you're a good employer, you check all of these different boxes and we have different algorithms around the back. We can say, you know what, based on this, there's no complaints here. This is that and so forth. And as we're trying to get everything to the job portal, you can mm -hmm. literally get an automated response as to whether this is approved, whether it is pending or, you know, deferred or whatever. And then for the employers now who the system is spit out an exception, those are the ones that human will go look at. So someone putting something for a doctor, you know, mm -hmm. somebody want to come down and be a neurosurgeon. I mean, something like that really don't need to go to the board. I mean, once they have the regular qualifications, the relevant government board has approved them from that standpoint, you shouldn't be waiting on a decision for a neurosurgeon. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? They, they aren't Caymanian's brain surgeon walking around here, you know, looking for something. So, we can based on the database and that's why it's important for us to say to as much people who are looking jobs please register 
mm. because mm. it give we, we need information in order to make informed decisions because the majority of these businesses are still owned by Cayman and people are owned by our friends are owned by our families and mm. if they can't service their business they can't service their clients then we're also impacting other Caymanians also you know so it is a balancing act to some extent so I am aware of the complaints but as I say to everybody look at the 2019 numbers look at the 2022 numbers the results speak for themselves but again it is because there's more scrutiny going on now in terms of different applications and so forth um that's kind of one of the things i just want to touch on there too is that even right now um one of the other issues that we're wrestling with now is i don't use the word sham marriages or marriage of convenience because every marriage is a marriage of convenience to some extent but <laughs> some yeah so those are some of the stuff that we're actually looking at mm -hmm. you now so, i think i think the distinction is some are only a marriage of convenience and there's yeah, no yeah. there's no but real yeah, love marriage are convenient you know yeah but, um it is one of the things that we're looking at so there are some changes that we are looking at on the um the legislative slide on the legislative side to deal with some of these immigration issues we're also looking at putting together a committee now to review the actual point system and make sure that those point system reflect the value that we want within our community in terms of how people integrate as opposed to what it is right now because there are a lot of qualified people that can be here and if there's one in a COVID has shown us you know jobs that we looked at as being that don't pay as much are the valuable jobs that we needed during COVID and as such we should also have pathways for some for, for, for those people to also be able to become part of the Caymanian community part of the Caymanian society and part of the Caymanian fabric you know as opposed to just if you're rich and you live in a certain place and yeah, this year automatically get it. So there are a lot of different stuff that we need to make sure that it actually reflects the values that we as a people, we as a community want to actually look at. Hmm. Very interesting. So in terms of the automation for the work permits, based on what you've said, does that mean then that you would actually be filling out your form completely online? for Everything online, paperless. Paperless, yeah, wow. Mm -hmm. That would be so much more and, efficient. And the same thing too. Um, I mean, I'll say it now. Because mm -hmm. um, we also want something similar for um, CBC too. Mm -hmm. We're, we want, as part of the e-government initiative, you're a Caymanian, you walk off the plane, you grab your bags and go. Mm -hmm. I mean, first of all, you're a Caymanian, clear immigration. Like, mm -hmm. who's going to deny you entering your own country? You know right. what I mean? So, of course, we just need to make sure that we have steps to say that you're truly key man and everything else where mm -hmm. you swipe and go or something. But what we want is an app where you can, because most people don't have a problem paying duty. Mm -hmm. What people have a problem is lining up, coming home, that long line, mm -hmm. where they want to two people and they're like, nah, I ain't doing this. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So what we want to do is while you're sitting in the Miami International Airport or wherever you are, mm -hmm. you can go on and fill out your um, electoral yep. de declaration Pay your dues right there. And receipts. You know what I mean? Your phone. Yeah. And you scan right through. So, yeah. you know, you walk into 10 bags and you don't have anything. So, yeah. those are the kind of stuff that we want to just get people moving through mm -hmm. the airport. Um, the director, um, Clifford, and his team has done a good, a very good job in the sense of being, you know, a risk based type um, approach. Because mm -hmm. we're wasting too much resources on mundane things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Where we need to really take a more risk-based approach because not every time as the airport grew after to grow the staff i mean we're growing government 
to some extent and, and, and the, the, the number of people in the public service I mean far more I prefer to keep a number steady and then what we see if, you know we look at finding ways of you know giving back something mm -hmm, that will go much further in the long run as opposed to just keep growing 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 the um, the public service as is no i mean this this concept of automation i must tell you is it shouldn't be anything new because we live you know we've lived in an automated era but i think that covid has really forced us to rethink a lot of mm -hmm. things you know i just came back myself um you know from miami and i'm looking at you know when you walk through a line in walmart now you can do self-checkout and i'm like hey yeah. i'm paying them for me to do their cashiering but i don't mind because it's a quicker option than standing in a traditional line and having someone do that for me um you know sam's club has a scan and go option so as i'm picking up my items i scan them in real time with their app and when i'm done i pay for it and i literally just walk out you know yeah the only difference security, is a security yeah. checkpoint yeah. you know yeah. so they do yeah, the only, yeah, the only difference is I prefer to see my CBC team mm -hmm. focusing more on keeping the legal stuff out of the island, the drugs, the guns, exactly. and so forth, yeah. as opposed yeah. to finding what someone spent at Walmart. I mean, no offense, but what we do collect at the airport is, again, speaking from memory, I think it's about nine hundred something thousand dollars a year mm -hmm. is what we collect mm -hmm. in duties from the airport. Mm -hmm. But it is a point of entry. And right. it is not the revenue that is really we're trying to protect. It yes. is more the smuggling that can happen at a point of entry. Yeah. And I would prefer to see more resources being spent on that. And with mm -hmm. the same approach that we took, even as saying, go back to the stipend, are we going to sit down now and spend limited resources chasing for that 2%, 5% or whatever number it may mm -hmm. be? Because when you factor it in, the thousands of what you would spend in terms of cost of personnel to chase mm -hmm. that. And if you then if you do find it, then you're going to go through a long criminal court and all. It, it wasn't mm -hmm. really worth it. We prefer energy to be directed someplace else. Mm -hmm. As the same mm -hmm. thing now with the airport is that, you know, I would prefer to see more energy, more resources directed towards illegal behaviors where you can actually sit down, observe, as an opportunity to, mm -hmm. I mean, you, you go to the UK, you literally grab your bag and walk right through the UK. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're doing, again, a risk-based type assessment and they have bigger threats than we have, but yeah, you can do that in the airport. And then if you look at where most of the people are coming from here, is that they're also coming from very secure um, locations too. The mm -hmm. US airport, I mean, granted, you know, you will have the occasional, somebody get through with something, you know what I mean? But mm -hmm. generally they're coming from also other secure areas too, you know? Mm -hmm. So it, it is one of those situations, but I mean, overall, like I said, um, we, we have a good team. And you know, from a from a CBC and border control perspective, one of the um, sort of criticisms that I've heard is that one of the areas of risk, which often goes you know somewhat undetected or nothing happens, it's actually the people of financial means trying to take advantage of the system who you know are millionaires, but they're still trying to smuggle goods in. They want to bring in expensive cars or whatever and not pay the respective duty on those items. Whereas you said, a lot of energy can be spent nickel and diming with someone who just went to Walmart for the weekend or Target or whatever. Um, and you know, so, some people who are uh, in that that business have said to me, you know, sometimes they've highlighted to to customs or CBC that you need to be you need to pay very very close attention to this particular individual, and you know, they have a lunch with someone and those concerns disappear. So I well, think I, I can't say this much. Um, not on this ministry, not and not mm -hmm. on the, um, the, the the team that we have there. Um, mm -hmm. What I can say 
Um, and again, I've met with those guys and being able now to have conversations with them that other people wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. There are also other sides of the story that sometimes is not out there in the public domain. And mm-hmm. this is Cayman. You always will have the um the stuff. But what I can say is that, I mean, since we have been here, I've not seen it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm not saying. I mean, all I can say is I've not seen it, and I have not. I've not seen anything inside the process that would make me question as if though. I mean, yes, you'll hear the stories of things you know happening, but mm-hmm. what I can say is if there's anything. The complaint I've gotten is that customs actually charge too much because once they reach that blue book, the blue book is the blue book. And sometimes you can get a bargain because even right now, I'm just kind of giving an idea. If you buy something online and you get a certain discount, even on your mm-hmm. um, sale, they will only discount it no more than 20%, even though you may have gotten it at a bargain. Mm-hmm. So they still force you to almost pay the same market price, less 20%. I mean, and that is something mm-hmm. that is there that people have come to me and complain about. I can tell you, um, trying to buy stuff online, mm-hmm. and she she likes ASOS. They always having good sales, and mm-hmm. I can tell you, for every single thing she buy from ASOS, the duty that we pay has not to do with the actual price that she pays as she get a bargain. But I've kind of got used to it to the point that I just, you know what, I just I just declare that the full amount. I don't even put it into where the discount is or whatever the price is because I know they're going to push back on it. Mm-hmm. But again, what we want to do is get all of that system automated. You know, because um, it's once we can do that, it become much more efficient. And if we can then get as much as we can automated, again, we can now have the team or the resources being focused on the really legal activity. Because I can tell you, what mm-hmm. keeps me awake at night is not somebody coming through buying um, stuff at Walmart and they're clearing it. Mm-hmm. Is how many guns that we have inside here illegally mm-hmm. and, um, and, and, and stuff. So All that's legal really contraband. The one thing I must say more than anything, um, Sandy, is that every single Caribbean island has sun, sea, and sun. Mm-hmm. The one thing that Cayman has more than anything is an overall safety and secure environment. Yes. And it's important that we never, ever lose that. Because mm-hmm. once we lose that, then we're going to lose everything else with it. And mm-hmm. that's why it's very important for the police and everyone to have that level of, and the community to have that level of cooperation with the police. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, the police is still an after response unit. They mm-hmm. show up after something has happened and it is therefore important then for the community to give them the relevant information in terms of things that has that happened because we can't afford to ever reach a point where we become too desensitized to the criminal stuff and what is going on within our country. Because the long-term effect is is going to be far too detrimental for us. Mm-hmm. Well, Minister, we can't have you in the program at this point in time and not ask you um, to address the ongoing concern in the community of the increasing number of uh, Cuban nationals, Cuban, Cuban migrants yes. that are coming in our shores. So, I mean, I think we're headed for a record um, for 2022. Uh, someone said we're going to be reopening Tent City to be able to accommodate all these numbers. You're running out of temporary accommodation space. Uh, what What's the game plan? What is the government well, I, I mean, I, no, I can tell you. I'm glad you actually mentioned because I was actually going to mention it also. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we have, and you will see it in the post-cabinet summer that will be coming out, um, I think probably on Wednesday, because cabinet will meet on Wednesday for cabinet, mm-hmm. um, is we have installed a new chairman for the refugee 
Protection Appeal Tribunal, RPAT. And we have also added OC on. So we have um, Cameron has approved Langston Sibbles to be the next chair of RPAT and add OC on as a member. One of the things that we want to do is actually, because there is still an international best practice of human rights approach that has to be taken, mm -hmm. everyone who asks for asylum. And then the main thing then is that the committee meet and review those very quickly. So mm -hmm. we have actually put together, we have had several meetings already, um, Wesley Owell, um, Clifford, um, the DG too, and, and everyone the likes, where we have started addressing this issue. One of the main things though is to actually start processing the, um, the application is much quicker. Mm -hmm. If you look at the, um, I think there was an article in the Washington Post last month, late last month. Mm -hmm. Okay, been early this month too. No, late last month. You know, where the, the amount of, there's actually a record number of Cubans now at the, the US-Mexico border. Yes. And mm -hmm. I mean, we are thinking one month alone, they apprehend like 39,000 or something like that. It was definitely up there. And they're looking at about maybe, 150 to maybe 200,000 this year they're estimating from Cubans trying to you know go to the U.S. via Mexico. Yeah. So of course Cayman becomes uh and of course there's also human smuggling and everything as involved. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can tell you right now and again, I, I just say, some of the people that I see coming off, I'm like, there's no way those people are no boat for no days. Yeah. Someone to drop them off someplace. Yes. I mean that's yeah. just my personal opinion, but mm -hmm. I can't bottle up at facts. You know, but I'm like, no, you you didn't be not see for no number of days. So there 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 are a lot of different um issues, and what what you do recognize is that, you know, Cuba is still very heavily dependent on Russia for assistance, and what is going on now in terms of Ukraine and Russia and everything else, and resources being um diverted, and Russia being cut off from the international community, mm -hmm. the normal assistance that they could even provide to the Cuban people and the Cuban economy, a lot of the situation now is economic in nature, and mm -hmm. I really genuinely feel it for um for many of the people because listen there are some things that we can't imagine and i have seen people where when a child is hungry mm. and they, they they can't make ends meet for someone to put to sea in some of the, the the boats that they have put to where i'm surprised some of these boats reach that far but you have to ask yourself how desperate or how rough things have to be for mm. someone to say, I'm going to take my life, I'm going to take a chance on that little raft to really go and try to make a better life for my family. Mm. You know I mean, so I really do feel for them in that regard. And regardless of what people think, my, my daddy went to sea and he never came back with any stories of being treated in any funny way. Because there was a time where opportunities were limited in Cayman and our mm. people had to, leave to go make better life. Granted, we left on legal means. We left on, you know, opportunities that were available to us. And I'm only happy that at least we are in a position to repay some of the kindness that was given to our um, ancestors when mm -hmm. they ventured out to different places. You know, so I can say genuinely, one of the things that we want to do is treat every situation on a case-by-case -case basis. We do recognize, yes, it is economic in nature, and it is it is tough. I mean, it is tough. I mean, it, it's not pretty right now. I mean, we, we have seen some of the stories. I've heard some of the stories. It's, it's not pretty. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you have families that you need to take care of and, you know, your baby's crying and, and going to bed hungry. I mean, as a parent, I'm I'm sorry, but as a parent, not a, I'm not speaking as a Cayman, I'm not speaking as a Cuban, I'm speaking as mm -hmm. a parent. 
that is something that no parent ever wants. You know, so I I genuinely feel it for them. I I, mm -hmm. I honestly do. And like I said, whatever it is that we can do to assist, I'm glad we are in um, a position to assist. It can't come at the expense of our own people. Mm -hmm. But those are the kind of little things that are simple as you see. That's how you get your blessings sometimes. I mean, I look at our numbers and I can say that the Cayman Islands is truly a blessed place. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have defied all um, situations to be where we are right now. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So... I'm, I'm happy that at least we're in a position where if someone even shows up on our shores, we can still at least offer them a meal. Some right. countries can't do that. What is the, do we have any idea of what percentage of the individuals that come here actually are applying for asylum? Well, from what I'm, um, I can't say breaking my percentage, but I mean, a lot of them pretty much understand the system where mm -hmm. they do recognize that, you know, once you, you cry asylum, I mean, we still have international obligations. You know, everyone knows where Cuba stands on the international level, where the U.S. and everyone else is concerned too. Um, so there are protocols. I mean, we are part of international community, whether we like it or not. Mm -hmm. And as such, it requires us to basically respond in a certain way. We just can't say, now you look this way, you send them back. Mm -hmm. You have to go through the process. I mean, it is is unfortunate part, but you know. It is something that still needs to be done. Yes, it right. may be a little bit long sometime, but at the end of the day, you know what I mean? And I can tell you the vast majority of the people I've seen are, and the, the cases that, that, that I've seen thus far, are just people who are in genuine need, more economic mm -hmm. than political than anything else. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But it, it, is, it, it is rough. So the solution then that we're looking at is to expedite the processing of... Um, and so we can return them um, home yes. because we do have an MOU with um, Cuba mm -hmm. where it also sets out, I mean, pretty much certain steps that we also have to take to mm -hmm. and certain actions that are required on our side. Right. And it's it's amazing, uh, Minister, because we get a lot of here at CMR. I don't know why they reach out to us. I guess they've heard we we have the inside source all the way in Cuba. We get a lot of people messaging us. I mean, sometimes it's almost daily when they believe their loved ones might have reached their shores, um, you know, just trying to confirm and get information because they're so worried about them. And we also have people saying, you know, how can I come to the Cayman Islands and work from all places? I mean, it's just amazing sometimes where we get messages from. And we try to explain to them that there is, you know, there is a legal pathway to be able to come into the Cayman Islands, but you actually have to find an employer that has genuine employment opportunities, first of all. And number two, you know, is unable to fill those uh, employment opportunities with a Caymanian. And so then at that point, you know, there becomes a possibility of, um, you know, a foreign national be able to come in. One, one Cuban guy, he's actually a doctor in Cuba and he's looking to get out. And, you know, he was telling me some information about, oh, there's a new, um, you know, agreement with Cuba where, you know, we can come, Cubans could come here on a boat. And I'm like, no, there's, and that we weren't returning them. And I said, you know, one of the things I think this government clearly needs to do is send out very clear messaging, do some PSAs and yeah, Spanish no, if you need to. Yeah, we are. Um, reaching the people, you know. Remember, remember the Cuban social media um, network is not the same as ours too. I mean, yes. the internet connectivity and everything is really not the same. And remember, yeah. you're still speaking to a country where a lot of the information is still controlled by the government. Mm. You know, so there is, like I said, we, we do recognize it. I mean, it is, is that Gigi in the back there that just popped in? 
Yeah, sorry. I saw your door open. I thought that was GG. Um, but no, there there is still, like I said, a process to be followed. And while people may not like it and people not like how long the process is, yes. at the end of the day, we still have certain obligations that we have to undertake. And quite simply, to some extent, following the process is really the right thing to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We don't like it, but it is the right thing to do. We're still dealing with human beings. And it's very easy to where we can just say the Cubans and lump everybody into one. Mm-hmm. Just as though we as Caymanians don't want to be lumped into anybody. Mm-hmm. This is still people. I mean, we have a way of, I mean, I was watching something several months back and you look at, they were talking about the way in which the military do certain things. Mm-hmm. They don't say like a terrorist, or they the ones like this one or this group, is a terrorist or an insurgent. You know, you use different stuff to mm-hmm. take off the fact that you're still dealing with people. Mm-hmm. And until you have seen these people and look in their eyes and see mm-hmm. challenges and the different stuff, then, then at that point, you can understand why many Caymanians, when they do see them, actually do the right thing. Well, I wouldn't say the right thing, but actually help them, you know, whether it be to feed them, offer them food, clothes, or whatever. Mm-hmm. You then understand why because once you see it and you can genuinely see that need in their face mm-hmm. it is very hard to unsee that you know what i mean and so it's easy when people can just know that they're arriving and saying one thing but you go down to one of those um places you meet them you see them you you, you carry a complete different view mm-hmm. and like you say you no know, these are people mothers they're people fathers they're people sons they're people daughters mm-hmm. you know what i mean and like with anyone else you know, we, we have a very rich maritime heritage. You know, I remember one of the first things um, when we had a situation, I think, with one of those boats were coming in and there was a crew member on board with COVID. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, speaking to um, Premier about it and, I mean, recognizing, you know, the, the COVID situation. And then I sat there and, you know, I said, DP, what are your thoughts? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I said, you know, Premier, I... My daddy worked on a boat. I mean, that's somebody else's daddy. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have a rich maritime heritage of, you know, our, our own mother's yacht founded up on the seas, you know. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, thanks, because that's exactly where I'm leaning into. We're going to tell him, you know, to come and get the, the medical help that they need. I mm-hmm. mean, the night before, we didn't know much about COVID. Now we know a little bit more about it than everything else. But it literally became a no-brainer for us if there are people to be helped. It is in the Caymanian DNA to help people. I mean, that mm-hmm. is who we are. That is part of what has made us unique. We're welcoming and we, we help people. We give people sometimes what we don't have. Right. That's who we are. Very true. Um, I think in, in tough times, people um, start to probably change from, from that um, position that we've always shared of helping others, but hopefully we'll We'll maintain that to some extent. Uh, Minister, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out of your busy schedule to join our, our viewers and our listeners to the program. We really appreciate it. I know that we covered a lot of ground this morning. So um, again, thank you for um, joining us and hopefully you won't be a stranger. Well, Simon, see now this manga season. Yeah. I don't know, you always remember. You always remember me. Oh, yes. And you're also a constituent too. You know what I mean? Don't forget you're in Bodentown West. Sorry, Bodentown West. Always <laughs> um, the slipper now and then, but no, it's. I think it's important, and I I need to start finding more time myself too. I mean, I have two um, full full ministries. I mean, the Minister of Finance and Economic Development, 
I mean, she's border control and labor. Mm -hmm. I mean, they are literally full time. And I'm, I'm being blessed with two great chief officers, um, Wesley Owell and, and Ken Jefferson. I, I really couldn't ask for um, better chief officers than those two decent, um, two decent people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I really want to thank your family for the amount of times I've interrupted them on weekends and late at night um, just to get stuff done. I mean, I, I see the team here. I mean, what it is that they do. Um, it's, it's one thing when you come inside, you, you're still inside. The next thing when you come inside, the belly of the beast. And mm -hmm. there are things that you appreciate uh, more. I mean, you said even the governor himself. Um, I mean, barring the difference we had on that you know, little domestic partnership bill or whatever, um, mm -hmm. decent professional person to work with. Mm -hmm. And genuinely mean well to Cayman. And I really hope we can find a way to um, even extend this day um, next year. Um, the commissioner, um, passionate. I mean, really f f top class, you know what I mean? And even Franz, I mean, the deputy governor, of, and I see we've been taking some hits um, on social media um, you know, recently, but mm -hmm. I can tell you a genuine patriot and everything that the elected government has pretty much asked him for, he has gone above and beyond um, to help. And at the end of the day, these are still our own Caymanian people. I've, not, I've yet to meet anyone that I can honestly say do not have the best um, interests at heart. Mm -hmm. We may have disagreements in terms of you know things to be done, you know. But at the end of the day, our political process requires that if there's a direction you want the country to go in, you put your toes and nose up and you go get your mandate. You know, what I mean, it's it's just that simple. I mean, that that's just the system that we have. But I mean, overall, I'm I'm very pleased um, with the team that we we have put together. Mm -hmm. I mean, we do have our arguments, we do have our disagreements, we do have our, you know, very strong differences of opinion. But at the end of the day, we're all Caymanian. And the, the most important thing for us as a group, which I've seen thus far, is if we have a disagreement on one issue, we don't take that disagreement to another issue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We leave it there. You know what I mean? Yes. Not because last week, you know, you, you came and asked me for something. You know what I mean? I can tell you, as a Minister of Finance, I mean, it's a role that I take very serious. Mm -hmm. And also as a minister of labor is a role I take very serious. But the financial, the finances of the country is one of the most important things because as I say to my colleagues, don't care what it is that you want to do. Mm -hmm. Don't care how much it is you care about people, it's still take cash to care. And mm -hmm. if we don't have the resources to do what is necessary to help our people, then that's a different story. Right. You know, so it's fine right now the first quarter we know is always does well. But we know that the other nine months now is actually going to be quite lean where most of the months our expenses are going to exceed our revenues. So the main thing now is to manage what it is that we have, watch our cash very closely. We're still trying to keep our um, debt down and the interest payments down. I don't see why we should be paying, you know, two, three million dollars in interest if we can be using that two, three million dollars to help Cayman and family. So there are a lot of different decisions that we, we have to make. But at the mm -hmm. same time, maintain a climate where people are very happy. To, to do business, you know, and I want to leave your, um, your listeners with this, um, Sandy, and maybe if you find time one day, you can actually um, play it for people. Mm -hmm. But it was an interview that Michael Manley did in 1977. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the height of the Cold War. He was, I think, in the United Nations in New York. He went mm -hmm. to, um, just came out of the 76 election. He had more seats. 72 was a landslide. In 76, he got more seats. He was on cloud nine. And mm -hmm. If you follow politics, you'll see so a man that was waxing lyrical. I mean, the man could just there. Mm -hmm. 
But then there was an interview that he did a year after he left office and a year before he died. Mm -hmm. And that interview more than anything. So you have to watch those two in context between what he was saying in the 77 and what he was saying in the early 90s. And mm -hmm. one of the questions along the line that the interviewer had asked him was, how could he got everything so right in theory? Mm. Everything went so sideways. And he said he learned three lessons. Um, one, he used language that frightened the middle class that resulted in one of the biggest brain drains Jamaica ever had. Mm. Two, he used language to fight to frighten investors and business people. We mm. needed them to create jobs. And then three, he overestimated the political awareness of the Jamaican people in that he thought they could understand what it was he's trying to do. And that is why everything or most things that this government do, you'll see we try to put it in the public domain because we want people to see the bigger picture of what it is that we're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. Our goal right here is to remember first and foremost that, you know, the power in the people is greater than the people in power. Mm -hmm. This is still a people-driven government. And it's important that the people recognize that the highest political office in this country is not premier. It is mm -hmm. actually a voter. They're the ones that hire, they're the ones that fire. And any politician who don't recognize that or understand that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is not going to do very well in this business. You know, this is still about the people. And for us, when people say, well, the government should do this, the government should do that. I always say, well, the government is the people. Why should the people do this? Why should the people do that? Our mm -hmm. job is to make sure that we empower the people. We create the, you know, the different tools, you know, do, we'll facilitate what we need to facilitate so for the people to do it. I mean, right now the premier has assembled um, a housing committee, which he's chairing. Mm -hmm. And again, I will leave him to make his announcement. I don't want to take his thunder from that regard. Mm -hmm. but, you know, it was you know, his, his, his initiative. But rather than the government going out and building a ton of houses, it's still about finding a way to partner the private sector. Right. Put, put what it is that we can put in the place, because at the end of the day, the private sector can still build far more houses than, than mm -hmm. we can. Absolutely. I mean, if we are having these housing challenges right now and tourism is not back to full capacity, can you imagine when we bring on another 1,000, 2,000 more mm -hmm. um, workers within the tourism industry when it gets back right. into capacity? I mean, again, where are you going to put those people? Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, too, you're talking about as soon as tourism come back, rooms that we have right now that's in the domestic rental market more than likely is going to move to the Airbnb market, mm -hmm. which again is going to make the, um, the problem, again, much bigger. So, is this unique to Cayman? No. But what it is that we need to do is to find ways in which we can encourage people. You know, so there are some things that we're working on, but again, mm -hmm. I would wait to the Premier to make the announcement in that regard so you can put out the collective approach that we are taking to, uh, to directly deal with it. But what I can say is that these are the kind of things that keep us awake at night. You know, I mean, I can tell you most of our phone call at 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, Minister Brian being one of the biggest culprits. I mean, this <laughs> man has no concept of time. He called like 1130. Yeah. And just starting a conversation, kind of like, or Jay's the worst one in the morning, um, six something in the morning. Not the morning, wake up or so. My, I mean, my phone goes silent when I'm sleeping. I'm going to be saying, Miss Carter from Minister Turner, six something in the morning. I'm like, you look at the last scene online, it's like two, two o'clock in the morning. Right. And it's like six o'clock. I'm like, did these people even sleep? Yeah, none of them want to say anything too because I'm just so guilty too. <laughs> I mean, but this is what it is, and yes. this is the only place that we have. So it's important for us to 
Mm -hmm. is the best place that we do have. You know, so I will try my best at least come on at least, you know, once every couple of months or something. You know, I mean, definitely whenever they, there's something mm -hmm. like that thing that, that's worth um, announcing and to directly put it out there for the people. But Absolutely. there's some things that we're working on right now, too, in terms of some type of insurance overall for the country, too, because we do recognize that, I mean, last year we got hit with um, Tropical Storm Grace. Mm -hmm. And the, the response in terms of assisting some of the homes didn't go as quickly and as smooth as we would have liked it. Um, yes, it's a lesson learned for us, but, you know, we still recognize that there are some homes out there, hurricane seasons coming up that still have not been repaired from the last season. So we mm -hmm. are trying to expedite that right now. But again, you know, seeing the process where it is, because you have to go through, because there are some people who, because government is paying for it, the invoice got jacked up. Some of these um, um, contracts, um, construction people, the, the, the prices that they quoted, and the minute the government became involved, things got added on. And I mean, and it's just really, really sad. Mm -hmm. So we've got to find a way in which to really smooth that entire process out too. Mm -hmm. to make it much easier too, you know what I mean? But at the same time, being accountable because it is the people's money. Mm -hmm. you know? And you'll always have people out there who are going to try to take advantage of the system. Yes. Yeah, so, All right, Minister. Wow. We covered a lot of ground um, today. I want to Almost an hour and a half. <laughs> I know. Um, I want to thank you definitely for um, coming on the program. And folks, again, um, we know that uh, the Deputy Premier and Minister of um, Finance and Border Control and Labor is going to be um, a fixture on the program. So get ready in the future episodes to be able to get your questions answered directly from him. And I hope that you guys enjoyed this segment today. Minister, thank you again. Hi, right, Sandy. You have a good morning now. Okay, thanks. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Cold Hard Truth on Bobo 89.1 FM. Cayman's number one talk show is live weekdays from 7.30 a.m. Never miss an episode again. Watch anytime on CMR's Facebook and YouTube channels for the latest show episodes. Don't forget to follow us online on our social media channels. And visit CaymanMarlRoad.com for all the latest news and community happenings.